Hey there, and welcome to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? Yes, this is the podcast that unravels the mysteries of the Bible's most perplexing, puzzling, and thought-provoking passages. My name is Rowan, and each session I'm joined by a member of our team at C3 Church, Camden, Picton, and Thoreau, as they quiz me on some of the more complicated, confusing, challenging, and even confronting passages that we read in our weekly Bible reading plan. understand that reading the Bible can be a challenging and perplexing experience. Many people just don't know where to start, they get confused, and so they give up. Well, that's why this podcast exists, to equip you with the tools and the knowledge to explore the richness and depth of the Bible for yourself. So grab your Bible, take a deep breath, and join us as we explore this week's passages. learn more about us or to get in touch with us at C3 Church Camden, Picton and Thoreau, visit any of our three locations websites. That's c3camden.church, c3picton.church and c3thoreau.church. Or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube just by searching for any of our locations names. So without any further delay, let's dive into today's conversation. Welcome everyone to this week's instalment of the Bible. Wait, what? Hello, everybody. Hello, my name is uh, James. Hey, Jimmy. C three Camden, and I'm here with Rowan, uh, or the the um, pastor formerly known as Rowan. Uh, as you can tell, he's you know he might not tell yet, but you will soon. Uh, you will soon tell that his I've... voice is a little bit yeah. uh, husky at the moment. Certainly, is. I recorded two episodes with Pastor Jeff Baxter on Monday. Um, I'm recording an episode with you today. I'm recording an episode with Jeannie tomorrow, God willing. And apart from that, I'm in bed, Jimmy. I'm okay yeah. while I'm sitting here because I'm not moving. Yeah. But the moment I start moving, I start coughing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, just apologies on that. And then you might hear us sort of duck away from time to time. In, yes, in put the, up with my coughs. Um, and, yeah, so I've been a bit the same like everyone. Everyone's been a little bit sick. It's sort of hit us at the end of winter. Yes, it has. strange. It's sort yes, of been I'm, like the last few weeks. I'm off to the doctor after this to see if I can work out whether I have a chest infection or... If it's just the virus, but yep. um, we'll see how we go. Chest infection's gone through our household, so I'm yes. sure that's probably going to reach yeah. other people. Yes, we'll see yeah. how we go. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we're kicking into the um, – so we're in the second week um, of the series, uh, which is the, the ministry kingdom, series. Is it kingdom ministry? Is yeah, kingdom life it? ministry. Kingdom life ministry. So there's been a several kingdom, kingdom life, life series. And this is the ministry. All life's in, life in the kingdom of God. So we've done mission and ministry. We've got prayer coming up. Yep. Yep. Um, so we're going to be looking at spiritual gifts – uh, and so uh, you might be – it's interesting because spiritual gifts is one, I suppose, if you're from uh, a C3 church or you've been part of a Pentecostal church, uh, spiritual gifts is probably – well, you probably think it's probably second nature in terms of maybe just even the term spiritual gifts is a bit second nature. Um, but I guess with that comes how much do we actually know uh, of that? Uh, but also how much does the Bible actually talk about that as well? Um, and we just talked a little bit beforehand um, – just about how spiritual gifts, uh, if you're in a Pentecostal circles, is very much you know in your face because it's just part of the normal life of yes. being part of a Pentecostal yes. church. I grew up in a non-Pentecostal church. Mm. I grew up in a um, in a uniting church, uh, and while they weren't uh, against 
uh, spiritual gifts or the, you know, moving in the spirit and all that sort of stuff. It still just wasn't as prevalent uh, as what it would be in a, in a Pentecostal, even a charismatic church. But uh, it's just funny that still like the, unless you're living in it, you sort of, you can read into the, <laughs> into the scriptures. You see things there because you bring your own worldview to the scripture. Yeah. And yeah. then, um, and we'll probably see that as we get into those uh, New Testament verses uh, a bit later on is that you'll see uh, it's almost like a uh, lived experience. People know what they're talking about. All they have to do is just, it's part of their life. Yes, that's right. Yeah, they were very much, their culture was very much aware of the spirit realm. Yep. Whereas we live in a largely humanistic culture, especially in the West. Yep. So we're not necessarily tuned into these spiritual things. Yeah. So we have to be aware that just because we might, it might be normalized in the New Testament to the point where we think it's not really that prevalent. Mm. It was very prevalent. Yep. In fact, Paul is in First Corinthians when we're going to get there. Paul is telling him to tone it down because yep. it's too prevalent. Yeah, in their services. And that's the funny thing is there'll be one verse in here which if uh, one sorry chapter in here which you will have heard probably numerous times, um, probably at some special events. So I won't rule on that until we actually get there. Oh yeah, I know where you're but going. But it's just um, it's interesting that we focus on one part of that, but then we just miss the other part of it. Uh, which is about the spiritual gifts. So, um, but anyway, we'll just jump. We'll see how we go. Well, yeah. we'll uh, we'll do the Old Testament first, then. Yeah, hey? Old Testament. So we'll, so we'll continue with the carry on with the life of David. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say this is the um, yeah the life of David here for sure. So anyway, we'll uh, we'll hit the uh, intro yeah, and we'll jump there. in. Okay. Welcome to David. This is your life. <laughs> we have been running through uh, Samuel, and uh, the last time I did it, we were at the beginning of. We were right at the start. Yeah, right we? at the start. Yeah, and uh, we're and still we've going. Already recorded a couple of days ago Jeff's episode, which will come out at the end of this series, which yeah. is right at the end. So yeah, I'm all over the place in the order, but we, we're working our way through First Samuel and Second Samuel. Samuel. Yeah, so we're going to be going into Second uh, Samuel um, chapter ten. Uh, so. Just do a quick summary about chapter 10, uh, and then we'll um, have a quick look at a couple of verses, then we'll do that sort of with each of these chapters, because sure. uh, it is, uh, I was trying to think about spiritual gifts, um, and then seeing if I could find a way to relate parts of this or any of this to the idea of um, of spiritual, like the idea of spiritual gifts that we have, and it was a bit of a struggle, to yes, try and do that. Not, and I know that not that's necessarily not necessarily what the it's there for. No. Um, no, we're doing more of a character study on David, really. Yeah. And so I think that it's more about looking at David's life and the and the way that the Holy Spirit works through him and all that sort of thing. So you'll actually it's referenced in here about, you know, the spirit working with David or the spirit Absolutely being with it's David. And, and David like that. was perhaps more than any other Old Testament writer, was very aware of the spirits working in his life. I think of Psalm fifty one, where he says Renew a right steadfast spirit in me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. And take not, not thy holy singer, spirit from me. Yeah. I'm not going to be singing that today. Yeah. But yeah, so that's Abortion. right. He was deeply aware of the spirit yeah. within him, the spirit working in him. Yeah, so we're going to be, um, yeah, so looking through that. And so that'll be, and as we are talking about before uh, in the intro, is that when you look at those New Testament verses, that we just, it just touches on the idea of spiritual gifts and what they are, because it was just assumed that, everyone had a knowledge of understanding of Correct. what they were. And, and that was then for us to, we have to read into, okay, it's very, you know, uh, short, the amount of information they give us is not very detailed, no. but we are to then read into. And so like if 
we were even talking about, like if you're studying the idea of um, spiritual giftings or the working of the Holy Spirit uh, in, a, in a theological or biblical sense uh, at college or anything like that or university, is that you do a lot of additional writing because they uh, – you do. You read a lot of additional writing because – it gives you context for the way they're living and all that sort of stuff Correct, and, and yeah. what, how they would view the world at that time that's right. to then get an understanding of, okay, that's why it's just so second nature for them. That's why they don't have to go into that's huge right. detail. Good, Jimmy. Well said. Okay, so chapter 10. So this is starts with the death of uh, Nahash, uh, the king of the Ammonites. Uh, so David uh, sends uh, a uh, sends some of his uh, commanders, some uh, people along to just – pass on his condolences pretty much. Uh, and the, uh, what are they, the advisors um, for the son of uh, King Nahash. Uh, I don't know. Why can I not see his name right now? Ha- Hanun, isn't it? No. Oh, Hanun, yeah. No, yeah. Said to, but when David's ambassador arrived in the land of Ammon, the Ammonite commander said to Hanun, their master. Hanun, yeah. that's okay. There we go. So he's the, um, he's the uh, I guess he's the prince. He's the king now. He's the, it's he's for the king some elect. reason I didn't highlight his name so I could find that's it later. It. Um, and just said, yeah, they're, they're, they're here to spy on your land. They want to try and, in this moment of weakness, pretty much conquer you, that sort of thing. Uh, so then they uh, humiliate. We'll look at. We'll come back to verse four in a minute. They humiliate those people and send them on their way. Uh, those peoples on people who came on behalf of David. Uh, so they came back to David, uh, and he just said, "Yep, stay in Jericho for a while and until uh, until later date." And then pretty much they freaked out realizing what they'd done. That's right. Yep. And so they just started, you know, bringing, uh, so Hanun, uh, they got in Basically uh, the arms for hire. Yeah, pretty much just Spoke any, to all the arms dealers around and got all as many, many soldiers as they could get. Some, yeah, so just pretty much dragged in anyone who yep. could lift a sword. Anyone who they could uh, pay, pay to fight for them. Yep. Uh, and That's then, not a new thing we see in the no, Jack Ryan movies. It's been happening all the way through. Yeah. Happens all the Guns time. Guns for hire. Yep. Uh, and then pretty much, yep, David just comes in defeats them, less people, they start running away because obviously they're not fighting for themselves. They're not fighting for themselves. They're, fighting, right. uh, they're fighting for money, so they're like, oh, no money's worth dying for, so they run off, and then pretty much that's that's this whole chapter. Mm. So we'll pull out a couple of verses. Can I pull a thought out that just came to me before you ask? Yeah, yep. So it mentions this story of how Hanun, the young guy, the young prince, listens to his advisors, and it straight away took me back to the story of Solomon's son, Rehoboam, mm. when the Israelites come to him and say, look, Solomon was making it hard for us, but if you will lighten the load, mm. we'll serve you. And yeah. the young advisor said, no, no, don't do, don't do that. Don't listen to the father's advisors. It says that Rehoboam ignored the advice of the older ones and basically took the advice of the young guys he'd hung out with. Yeah. And I see this pattern in church life. I've seen it with church transition leadership. It's like get rid of the old in with the new. Yeah, I've seen that. And um, I don't think it's wise. I think we need to realize that that there is wisdom that comes from experience. Yep. And we need to be asking ourselves as, I'm not young anymore, I'm old now, mm. but as a young guy, I mean, you're a lot younger than I am, but we need to be asking ourselves, what wisdom is there from an older generation that I can learn from? And yeah, they might be a bit out of touch with a few things, but just because they're out of touch with a few things, don't dismiss everything. Right. Because you end up in this case, I mean, this, this story started out, would have been good. Yep. If he had have just accepted it, it would have been a good, healthy relationship and would have continued. Yeah. And that's it, yeah, the things of, of culture shift and change all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, what's, what's old becomes new again, uh, all that sort of stuff. You just look at fashion. Everyone's rocking the 90s gear at the moment. Absolutely. Pretty much all the stuff that I wore when I uh, was a lot more awkward than I am now. And it's now popular. And where you wore it then and it was just sort of what you did. So it's just funny that, 
yeah, we're very quick to push off um, the more experienced, the older, because we want to say contemporary and whatever. But then that the problem is that you lose the uh, the ability, the the wisdom that comes from living through various changes and True. shifts and all that sort of stuff. True. So. I've just been reading a Bible college book in in preparation for my masters that I'm doing at the end of the year or starting at the end of the year. Yeah, and in there they were talking about you know how we need to learn from the church fathers and those that have gone before. We shouldn't just think that we've arrived and now we've got it all figured out. There's men and women have gone before us over 2,000 years that have got stuff we can learn from. Yeah, definitely. Mm. All right. So um, the first verse I sort of want to pull out because just thought it was interesting and maybe people don't understand the cultural. Like I, I know that I sort of knew un- a little bit, but just to be able to understand the, what the full context of verse 4 was talking about. Uh, so it said – so Hunun seized David's ambassadors and shaved off half of each man's beard, cut off their robes at the buttocks, and sent them back to David in shame. So, um, I knew with the with the beard, like that's I knew that part. The beard was like it's just that symbol of masculinity. Yes, it was, especially for it was Israelites. Pretty much Israelite. It was a cultural uh, un- understanding that men grew beards. And it still is much. today for, for Orthodox Jews. They all yep. have beards. Yep. And so that the shaving off half of their beard meant that they pretty much demasculatized them. Is that the word? Is that a word? Emasculated? Emas- yeah. Okay. Something like that. Is that what you yeah. say? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what you say. Thank my you. head's – I'm going to say crazy things today for sure. <laughs> Between <laughs> the cough medicine and the cod roll and everything else, I'm sure yeah. my brain is all over the place. They cut their masculinity in half. Um, mm. And then the second part was – pretty much a symbol of the same thing except uh, different masculinity. Uh, cut off the gum, it's symbolized castration. So that's right. the okay. idea of that. So dating back to Chronicles and also Isaiah is that leaving them naked from the hips down is a type uh, – it was the type of shaming they used to use in prisoners of war. So that's from right. Isaiah. Okay. Uh, and then like there, yeah, it was just a form of castration sort of thing. It's just like that. You yeah, know. it's complete humiliation. Yeah. So as, you know, we've seen footage in – in the ghettos and in, in, in the gas chambers and the Holocaust, they were naked. They just stripped them of all all identity, all um, integrity, mm, all value, dignity. That's the word I'm after, dignity. Yes, yeah, so I, I, mm. I guess that's what's going on. Oh, yeah. I don't think I've ever bothered to figure out what it means, but, yeah, it's obvious in the text that that's what's happening, isn't it? Yeah. It's a complete humiliation. Yeah, so – and like a like a, that's the, the one I was just like, oh, yeah, like – of course it means that, like, in my brain, but I'm like, I've also done some study. So it's just like, okay, that's why I could sort of see that. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah, not everyone like, – no. but I didn't even realise the whole part about the cutting off the garments. No. I just thought that was just a, a thing just to, you know, send them off in a bit of extra shame or something like that. But it actually was that it's they both symbolised the same thing. One was a, a physical on the person, yep. which could be done, uh, which – had to, which took time to ch- to change to yes. grow back. Hence, they had to stay where, away in Jericho until where they could just go and back. change their robes. If they just did the robes, they can just go and change yeah. that. It's like that double. Well, based on how long it takes me to grow a beard, I would have been in Jericho for a long, long time. <laughs> um, Not like my son-in-law who grows a beard between nine a.m. and midday. Yeah, some of the some of the some of those people. Lebanese guys they can grow a beard yeah. in a hurry. Um, yeah, so that was uh, that was that one. Uh, the next part was. Uh, well, I don't know if there was much else in there. We sort of over, over did the overview of the of the story. I don't think there was really much else in this chapter. Nothing else there. One sticks out here. Yeah, I think it's just a shame. I think it's yeah. just. I think to wrap up the story, what is the author trying to tell us? It's it's a story of what could have been. Yeah. So you know the Ammonites were normally sworn enemies of of the Israelites, mm. but in this context, David had reigned over not just Israel and Judah, but he had reigned over the nations around. He had a mm. large kingdom. Solomon does as well. 
Um, and it was they were on, it's purely, clearly he says it was on good terms. Yeah. So this wasn't a, a necess, they were a vassal kingdom, which meant they probably would have paid Jews. That's normal in ancient Near East. Yep. Um, they would let, let, be allowed to have their own king, but they would have to pay Jews to the the other king. And in that situation, it was like oh, well, we promise to come and protect you, but you fight for us. We call you when we fight for us. That yep. was a normal process, and it obviously was a healthy relationship that's just gone just gone awry here. Yeah. And it, it's it's really a case of what could have been, but was lost because of a lack of wisdom on behalf of this guy, Hanun. Yeah, and the, and the people advising. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, I, and I've seen yeah. that. I have seen that where we don't listen to wisdom and we get ourselves in a more mess. Yeah. And the, like, and the other thing that I was going to actually say, because uh, it was, but we've seen David do this before um, with Jonathan's son. Was that, is that before this? That was before this. Yeah, yes. that was even before this. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out where we were. Yeah, Jonathan's being killed by now. Yeah, yeah. So where he brought him in and treated him like his own son. I'm a fever chef, you mean? Yeah. yeah sorry. Uh no, that's like, sorry, beg your pardon, you said Jonathan Sons. Yeah, I'm thinking you say Jonathan. No, Mephibosheth's coming after this, I think. Okay, after, okay. I think it comes towards the end of the story. All right. It's a bit out of context. It may have happened before this because a few of those stories aren't yeah, necessarily, necessarily in the order. chronological yeah. order. But yes, carry on, Mephibosheth. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's just like, and that like shows that, you know, the fact that David's reaching out to show, like, oh, I want to continue this, like, I want to look after you, I want to continue this relationship because, you know, it's been here and it's been standing, is that, yeah, my thing is like, well, he's shown that before, but I suppose if that's coming after, then, but yeah, like where he shows kindness over. Oh, I think we should yeah. see that this is very much part of. Oh, that's all right, Melanie. You'll get that. The doorbell's ringing. That's yeah. for, that's that's for a playgroup. <laughs> so no, this this shows this is very much the heart of David. Yeah, he isn't. He's. We, I was talking about this with Jeannie. I think it was. He isn't the ruthless king. He's a different type of king. And that's why the later on writers will pick it up and say, we want another king in the form of David yeah. because he wasn't ruthless in that same way. I mean, mm. compared to us, he seems ruthless, yeah. but in his own worldview, he was very gracious. Mm. He, he wasn't um, necessarily trying to just uh, kill everyone and control everyone. Yeah. He obviously was trying to find terms for peace with whoever he could. Yeah. And then like, a, I suppose the idea of, 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 of war, like as we talked, I think we, we talked around the last one, it's a very, it's a seasonal thing. So they actually looked at and did a lot of that, that there was a time for war and then a time when you're at home. That's so correct. And so the fact that that's part of the culture, yet David's still looking for peace so that, you know, it's countercultural, the fact that he's constantly looking for peace, not just to protect himself, because obviously he was winning wars. Like he didn't need to look for peace. No, like he, he had- didn't. He didn't have to, but that was very much in, in his heart. Yeah. I mean, so much so that when it, he, he, he has to fight and, mm. but he's always fighting for the purpose of peace. He's yeah. trying to initiate peace. He calls his son Solomon, yeah. which comes from the root word Shalom. Yeah. And so Solomon has the kingdom handed to him in a time of peace. Yeah. Solomon blew it, but he had it in a time of peace mm. because David had done the hard yards to yeah. do diplomacy fight where necessary, but wherever he could, he tried to do diplomacy like this situation Yeah, in the hope that he could, um, he could bring peace to the region. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So that's a, that's one example of, of David and his character. And uh, yeah. we're going to move on to verse 11. Uh, sorry, chapter 11. Chapter and, 11. Uh, yeah. Let's see another part of David's character. So Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 11, uh, and the title for this, I'm not going to go on my title round again, uh, is David and Bathsheba. So this is, uh, as we said, we just saw one side of David's character. Um, this is the other. This is the other. 
and it just and it's and the fact that this is immortalized in the writings of these people um, of the Israelites is that it just shows okay it's important to show not just the good but also show the bad it's one of those things that like if you want proof that um, the Bi- the Bible is written uh, and it's you know touched by God and all that sort of stuff is that if it was just all completely humans yep half this stuff wouldn't be written Absolutely. everything will be you know glorified and you know exactly. kings kings would be very short because everyone would have done right in the eyes of the Lord. And that's right. Um, and, and it would have been perfect and, uh, or it yeah. would have been hidden. Yeah. So it's interesting because that's the point. I mean, the fact that the, the writers in, of Samuel and Kings especially mm. are very prevalent with the frailty yep. is interesting because they get to the book of Chronicles where these stories are doubled up, yep. but written hundreds of years later after the exile. And it's interesting that, uh, because I just said, you know, the, the, the writers in the post-exilic period, they started to one on new David. They started to see this vision that God wanted to bring a Messiah and you, and you one who would rule on David's throne. Mm. So they do whitewash the story. Yeah. And they don't tell this David and Bathsheba story. They just skip right over it. Yeah. They go straight to what happens afterwards, which is they conquer the city and David takes it. Yeah. So you can see human humanity coming out in there. Oh, we want to pr- portray this David who's perfect later on. Yeah. But you can't detract from the fact that this story He's and the there. Bible, the Holy Spirit made sure it was there just like Abraham's mess up with Hagar mm. and, Ish- and Ishmael and all that, because we need these frailty stories because we cannot relate to them. Yeah, and, the, and it just shows important to show that um, those that are, even those that are anoint, anointed and chosen by God to to lead lead like their people uh, aren't perfect. No, aren't that's right. Aren't going to not make mistakes. That's like, right. And it's about how not only how you then react after that is pointed out, like whether or not you realize it straight away or point it out, like in David's case, or, you know, and then how that follow up from that, how your character is then, um, is either changed or grown because of that, that yes. you went through. Uh, obviously we, you know, we get a lot of, uh, we've had a lot of scandals, uh, in the last, you know, well, it's probably gone forever really, but becoming more prevalent, more prevalent yes. over the last sort of five years, maybe even 10 years of, you know, people in leadership falling for this very same yes, thing. that's right. Uh, and that's the the thing is that David, how David, how David then one fronts up when it's is pointed out to him, and then then how he reacts, and understanding there's going to be consequences, mm, mm. Uh, and how you then react when those things start to happen. I think that just is again showing David's character, not saying that what David did was right in any way, shape, or form. What David did was wrong, but what David did right. Was, was eventually he repented and yep. and turned back to God and then and then taught others about this sin. He was willing to put it there yeah. and teach others about it so that they would learn from him. And this was known through the community. It's not as though that it was something that was hidden. Sorry. That's right. <clears throat> so just a quick summary of David Bathsheba. He wrote a whole psalm about it. Psalm fifty one is all about it. Yeah, we sung it in the. You sung the Keith Green version yeah. in the last <laughs> chapter, but that's all about this story. Yeah. So bear that in mind. Psalm fifty one. I don't think it's in our notes for today, is it? Um, no, 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 it's elsewhere. But yeah. um, you know, it might be good if you're about to read this story to read this story and then uh, add an extra chapter in and read Psalm 51 after reading this story. Yep. Definitely. Okay, over to you. Ah, uh, yeah. So pretty much, it just this passage just talks about David committing adultery with Bathsheba, um, having her husband Uriah. Pretty much, he tries to first cover it up by calling him back um, to to then sleep with Bathsheba in the hope of being able to cover up what he had done. Uh, so first black mark against David there. Uh, and then he's like, well, that didn't work. 
I'm going to send you out and pretty much have you killed, um, put you in the front line, knowing that you know you're going to die. And it happens, and so just down about to murder. Yeah, so he's not only committed adultery. It's funny that the, the focus on is generally on the adultery yeah. and not the murder. Um, maybe because it might say something about us. But <laughs> I think we, it we, probably we does. think that adul- adultery is worse than murder. Um, but it's well in their context, maybe it, it was. It might have been for way. them, but then for us, like who put the headings in? Uh, yeah, it's not David kills you're either Hittite. It's David Bathsheba's the title. Yes. So that's been put in, you know, hundreds, thousands of years yes, later. That's right. Uh, and it's it's funny that that's the focus point. It's not the it's not the murdering of an innocent man who did who was a did everything man in, of complete integrity. Yeah. Who wasn't even a Jew. No, but yet he still followed David and his commanders to to the point where knowing going on the front line was probably gonna get him killed. Mm. It's just Well, the fact that he even was the one who took his own note mm. back to and handed it to Joab, mm. not knowing what was written in it because it's a sealed document. Yeah. I mean, you'd be thinking, oh, that was a strange visit I had with Dave, yeah. with the king. What's going on in this note? You'd be wanting to unseal it and have a check. Yeah. But no, he, he took his man of integrity. That's the picture that it's painted here, that Uriah the foreigner, yeah. he had more integrity than David. Yeah. Um, and yeah, pretty much that's the, that is what this whole chapter is about. So, um, a lot of people will know the story of David and Bathsheba. Um, they would know the how it actually plays in, plays out. So I don't know if there's really, again. I'd add in here just one thing that comes to mind is that oftentimes I have heard throughout, through the patriarchy and everything else, it's almost like subliminally the worldview paints Bathsheba in a bad light. Yeah, here. totally. Yeah. She's, she's, she's a victim in this. Yeah. People say, oh, what was she doing on the roof? Well, that was where they would go and bathe. The king shouldn't have been in there in the first place. It says in the spring when kings go out to war, David stayed home. Yeah. So David sent out Job and he stayed home. So he wasn't where he should have been. Um, and when the, the king summons you, you don't say no. Yeah. So this is a this is um, a picture of abuse of power. The yep. things we were just talking about in the last chapter where David was, was not abusing his power. He's actually showing kindness mm. now because he's not in tune with the Lord. Yeah. Um, he's let his guard down and he's he's abused his power. Yep. Uh, which is so often what these kind of stories do. They're abuse of power. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that that's very important is that – and another, you know, he tries to – well, he doesn't make it right via the cultural things that once, you know, he gets Uriah killed, that he then marries her so that then his child and, and her will be looked after. So culturally – but whether yeah, or not he was the I right think, person culturally anyway, I think that's I again think another cover-up. My guess here is that he was marrying her – you read, if you read the story, mm. yes, it's true that if someone dies, you'd take them and you'd be easy to go, oh, Dave was doing the right thing. Yeah. Dave was trying to save his own backside the whole way through this story. Yeah. When he sends Uriah back, go sleep with your wife, what he's saying is, hey, everyone will think that the baby is yours. Yeah. Because he, he he slept with Bathsheba and Bathsheba sends him word that I'm pregnant and Uriah's on the battlefield. So it's yeah. not his, he's not the father. So David is trying to cover it up. So then he thinks, oh, Bathsheba's dead. Sorry, Uriah's dead. I'll take Bathsheba. Everyone will think it's my child. Yeah. So David is trying to save his backside all the way through this. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. Yeah. Um, one little, it's like, I remember in Sunday school, they used to talk about how, you know, one little lie leads to another little lie. And if you, I remember talking about the, this story doing kids church many, many years ago and a little game where they get you to tie, wrap yourself with a piece of cotton mm. and you break, you can break a piece of cotton easily, yeah. but you start wrapping yourself in 10 or 15 pieces of cotton. You can't break free from that. Yep. Each of them on their own 
is not a problem. Mm. But when one starts to build upon another, which you'll you'll see in David's story here, yeah, um, things get to the point where he finds himself trapped in this mess of his own making. And if we're honest, we all do that. Yeah, you know, we need to we need to keep short accounts with God because we end up finding ourselves covering this, and it leads to another deception, which leads to another one. And that's exactly what happened to King David in this story. Yeah, and it's just yeah, I, I always. I find it an interesting story, more so because it's just so well known that it's almost not even talked about. Right. Good call. Yep. Um, just as you said, and I think it's probably because it's too confrontational for people to want to talk about in a setting other than just talking about the individual things that happen in there and how that then how we can then learn from that, but not actually talking about the whole story, what has actually happened, whether it's from. Uh, from a big picture that David David's abuse of power, you know, um, Bathsheba being a victim. Yes. Whether it's, um, you know, Uriah being faithful, even. Face, the, facing death, even, yeah, even though he was doing, faithful. Yeah. There's so many big picture character assessments in this story, mm. isn't there, that and we then might we, miss. And then all the time we just focus on David yeah. having sex with yes. a person he shouldn't have. Yes, that's pretty that's much right. that's pretty much what it's talked down yeah, to. Yeah, oftentimes. And I think that's a that's probably a failing on us and probably just shows the the way. I, when we talk about – I know that we did a whole five-hour sin podcast, but um, that sin is always – always ends up being graded. Yeah. In our minds, whether or not we know it or not, in our culture, in our churches, certain sins are acceptable. Um, just, you know, don't do it again. Yeah. And other sins are not. Yeah. And it's just funny where – they, and they all see it on some sort of scale. Yeah, right. Where that's not how God's – sin is sin. Yeah. Sin, it all holds the same weight, but we have to rationalise in our head. Oh, no, but like, you know, s- spending two hours and 15 minutes in a in a parking spot that's only for two hours yes. is – that's completely different to then me going and, and – Murdering someone. Murdering someone. someone. Yeah. Well, we rationalise it except Jesus doesn't. No. You know, he says, hey, you think, you know, I haven't committed murder, but you've mm. been angry with a brother. You've committed murder in your heart. Yeah. So Jesus doesn't rationalize it. He says it all comes from the same root blackness inside of us. Yeah. How it manifests itself is important because, you know, staying two hours and 15 minutes in a parking spot may not do as much damage to somebody else as, as a murder will. It won't. Mm. However, it still comes from and springs out of mm. what's in my heart, which is still a blackness of selfishness. Yeah. And that's the deal that Jesus is trying to get attention with here. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, this story, like you said, we gloss over it mm. and we're going we're to do chapter 12. We're going to do yep. the rebuke. So we'll come to that yep. in a minute. But just, um, you know, at the, the scriptures say, David did what was right in the days of the Lord, all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. Yep. So this story is a pivotal moment for David. And we'll, we'll see it when we get to chapter 12 in a minute. Mm. This sin and this, this not one sin, but multiple sins were banked on top of each other, yep. changed the course of Israelite history because it's, it causes all kinds of problems, which we'll see Nathan yeah. prophesy in a moment. But it's a significant moment. And I think we should bear that in mind that we think, oh, it doesn't hurt anybody. Mm. But when we take for ourselves at the expense of others, when we want for what's right for us, it does have a flow-on effect yeah. that will hurt other people. It's very hard sometimes to see. I think that's and that's our biggest failings. And that's why we need God is that um, – I know this is not – an evangelizing podcast or anything like that, but this is why the, the need to have uh, our God and our lives to accept Jesus Christ as our, <laughs> as our saviors because is that we're very 
we find it very hard as human beings to see beyond our own self and our own needs. Yes, that's um, right. Or, you know, we, sometimes we can extend that to our family or our close friends, but outside that, it becomes very easy to not even think about consequences of your actions them. on other people. Uh, and then this story here shows that, uh, and it's not just for him and his family, but it's for the whole nation of God. Correct. Comes out of this. And David, you could say that David's reputation is is tainted because of this, but it's also the we it's great that we can see this because we then can see the repercussions of of one series of events, one period of time in his life where he was not doing what he should have been doing. Uh and, you know, sitting against, you know, multiple against God and against multiple people uh, and against the nation uh, and then just the outcomes that come from that. That's right. Yeah. yeah. All right. We'll head to chapter 12. Yep. We're both coughing in, coughing in that break in between while the music's playing, so yeah. you're not over yours either, yeah? <laughs> no, no, still sitting there. Won't go away. It's nowhere near as bad. I can, I can still detect that little, little bit of croakiness in your voice. Yeah. So chapter 12. Uh, so this is uh, – so here we talk about that uh, – so God pronounces judgment upon David um, for both his murder and the adultery and everything else that comes with it. Uh, and he sends Nathan, the prophet Nathan, to deliver this message to David – uh, and David does it in one of those uh, ones you might be used to, uh, a parable. Jesus loved to use those. Yep, Nathan uh, uses Nathan it here uses too. Nathan uses it here and yep. uh, to great effect. And the consequence, and this is where we see the consequences of David's actions. Fair thought for poor old Nathan. The Lord says to him, hey, go and rebuke, rebuke the king. Yeah. I mean, he, he's putting his own life on the line, yeah. really. And then he's like, well, we just saw what happened with Uriah the Hittite. Now That's I'm going right. to come... What's he going to do to me? Yeah, so. I think we need to um, recognize the great level of faith and trust that yep. this prophet Nathan has. Yeah. And he's one of David's key prophets. Yeah. But um, nonetheless, you normally don't rebuke the king. No. But and, and, ho- and I think probably Nathan, knowing David, would and knowing pretty much most of David, he would know pretty much all of David's life, um, that he would be have, he'd have faith that if the Lord's sending him, to go and pronounce judgment and then help David see what's actually happened. That there'll be a positive There outcome. will be a positive yeah. outcome, knowing all of the stuff that's happened before Correct. with Saul and he clearly and does it. Really, like I said, he tells it in a parable. Mm. So he breaks down David. He didn't just point at David and go straight away, yep. Dave, I know what you did. Yeah. He did it wisely. He kind of got David to convict himself, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so maybe tell us the story. Okay, so, um, so this is the um, – so Lord sent Nathan and to tell David this story. So we'll read the story because I think it's probably important to hear this parable, the way that he brings it. And I think that's probably something that we can have a look at in our own lives and the way that we address sure. maybe uh, challenging people in our own lives as well. Yeah, and the way as pastors and leaders and small group leaders, we can disciple people. The best way to do it is to help people see where they're off track themselves hmm. as opposed to just coming in with a pointy finger yep. and just tends to make people defensive. Yeah, and as we will just talked about before is that it's very easy for people to um, forget about the other. So then you use that, you turn that back on them by going, yeah. well, this is what these people have done. Oh, no, they should have done this. Well, you've actually done that. And it's like, oh, oh that's okay. right. Yeah, for yeah. sure. All right, so go away. All right. Uh, well, there away were, you go. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. 
He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the, man, uh, the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. Now, David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man from the, um, for the one he stole and for having no pity. And then Nathan sees his chance here. You are that man. Uh-huh. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdom of Israel and Judah. And uh, if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you uh, despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Amorites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to other uh, to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will uh, make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. Cop that, eh? Cop that. Reminds yeah. me of Jesus' words. Yeah. Pull the plank out of your own eye, hey? Yeah. That's exactly what this is what is going on here, isn't it? It's like he sees the plank in the, in the story, in the, blood, the brother's eye. He sees the speck in the brother's eye. Yeah. Can't see the plank in his own. Yeah. And so, yeah, so it keeps going. Uh, so look at um, – so then this is Paul, where – Let me pull up one other thought there yeah. that I've never seen before. As you were reading through that, they're at war with the Ammonites. Yeah. These are the same dudes from the previous chapter. Yeah that they wouldn't have been at war with if that hadn't all gone right. So the spill-on effect here yeah. is like one thing, one mistake leads to another, which leads to another. So mm. it's not just the David and Bathsheba thing. Yeah. Two chapters ago, this could have all been avoided. They wouldn't have been at war with the Ammonites if the Ammonites had have accepted the peace offering. So yeah. you see how it all spill. It's this yeah. pattern we can get in life of one thing leads to another, leads to another in life. Yeah, nothing just happens out. No. Like it, it, nothing just happens out of nowhere. There's always a reason or a cause behind that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's completely out of your control. Sometimes it's completely someone else's doing. Yeah. But a lot of the time it is all it is our doing. It's things that we've done and things we've chosen to That's do. That's right. That yep. Is the cause of that. Sure. David does repent, doesn't he? Yep. Uh, so he confesses his guilt to um to the and he said, I've sinned against the Lord. Uh, and then Nathan replied, Yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for your sin. Nevertheless, and this is where this becomes important, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord. By doing this, your ch- your child will die. After Nathan returned to his home, the Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife. David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and lay all night on the bare ground. The elders, <coughs> sorry, the elders of the household pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but he refused. Then on the seventh day, the child uh, the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He wouldn't listen while the child was ill. Um, what drastic thing is he going to do now that uh, when we tell him the child is dead? Uh, David saw them whispering, realized what happened and said, is the child dead? Yes, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions and changed his clothes. Uh, he went to the t- tabernacle and worshipped the Lord. After that, he returned to the place uh, and was served food and ate, uh, sorry, the palace, sorry, uh, and served food and was served food and ate. 
His advisors were amazed. We don't understand. They told him, while the child was living, you wept and refused to eat, but now it is dead and you have stopped your mourning and are eating again. David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive, for I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go um, to him one day, but he cannot return to me. Uh, Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and slept with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and David named him Solomon. The Lord loved the child and sent word through Nathan the prophet that they should name him uh, Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord, as the Lord had commanded. I always find that interesting, that last bit. But anyway, there's a lot more in that one. But I find that last bit where he's... (laughs) They should name him Jedediah, but they name him Solomon. Yes. So is it like that they've named him Solomon and then Nathan said, oh, like the Lord's come and said, oh, you should name him Jedediah. And that's a sort of a title name that they've given him. Or yeah, is it, I'm not sure what Jedediah means. Did you look it up? It said beloved of the Lord. Oh, so it's beloved of the Lord. Yeah. Okay. So he specifically says it in the text there. Yeah. I, I suspect it's more just like um, a stamp title. Like tr- treat it like, a, treat it like um, how the Catholic Church will often – give a child a different name or an extra name when they baptize the child or something. Yeah. It's like, you want, you know, your life's been pretty bad yeah. and you messed up, Dave. This child though is loved by God. Yeah. So it's, it's redemptive, I guess, is how I'd view that. Yeah. His name is still Solomon. Yeah. He's known as Solomon all the way through, but it's, it's God stamping his approval and saying, I'm redemptive. Even when you mess up, even when you're faithless, I remain faithful. Yeah. I think that's the key there. Through that, I think the fact, yeah, you saw that David not only did he weep and and mourn and and fast while the child was ill, knowing what was going to happen. Yes, trying to that plead with God to potentially change. Like that's his repentance. But then, when the child dies, yep. he goes and worships worships the Lord. Yeah, uh, and it it shows that there is a repentance there from that. That's a, like that showing that David David's, David's character that understanding, not being too big to understand when you've done something wrong and go back to the Lord and be, okay, I've stuffed up. I'm going to worship you. And Yeah, and I think you see that in Dave. I mean, this is where he's now, he's been thinking about himself in chapter 11. Yep. All the way through trying to save his own backside. And now in his brokenness, he's starting to think about others. He's thinking about this yep. child. And, yep. you know, we, the whole idea of it says the Lord struck the child and all that sort of stuff. Yep. That's a bit of a wait what kind of thing. Yeah. It's one of those ones where you go, what do we do with that? I think, you know, we've talked about this quite a lot. We need to realize that in the worldview, everything happened at the Lord's will. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily mean that somehow God punished the child for the sins of mm. um, of David. That's That seems to be not consistent with the nature of God. Yeah. Ezekiel will tell us that God doesn't do, you know, each dies for their own sins, Ezekiel will say. So yeah. there's a progressive revelation and an understanding of this. I think the point is more that, David is vividly aware of his own sin. Yeah. And we will see this play out the rest of Dave's life. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you – did you – my head's not quite in. Did you read verse 11 just prior to the confessing of guilt? You did, didn't you? Yeah. Where Nathan says, this is what the Lord says. Because you've done this, I'm going to cause your own household to rebel against you. And he says, I'll bring calamity out of your own household. Yeah. So David is vividly aware that this this sin mm. is going to have flow-on effects within his genera- in the generations of his children, yep. which it does. He has three sons. All start with A, Absalom, Amnon, and Adonijah, mm. and they all um, are vying for power and all this sort of stuff. Yep. In the middle of it, David's deeply aware that it's a result of him as the father. Yep. 
failing. Yep. Yeah. Um, I was going to – something that was there. Again, it's got to happen at least once during the podcast. Have a thought and then it disappears again. Oh, it happens to me all the time. Um, but, yeah, so, again, so we go through and we see that David, first off, is rebuked and, you know, gets an, an understanding, okay, this is what I've done. Uh, he doesn't try and hide it anymore. Uh, uses an opportunity to then grow um, to to understand that and to try and rectify, not in terms of trying to fix what has been done, but trying to rectify his own life and the trajectory he was on because he would have seen it with kings and kings beforehand that didn't follow what the Lord placed before them. Yeah. Uh, and he was, and he even experienced that himself. So I think that life experience probably helps David because of that building of his character and understanding that he hasn't let this this leadership and power where he could easily just go, thanks, but no thanks, and I'll just keep doing what I want to do. Uh, and potentially then that's when the spirit of God would have left him. But yeah. he didn't. And knowing that even though there'll be consequences, that, that things will happen because of what he has done, uh, God is still with him. He's still following uh, and worshipping the Lord. Let's pick up on that word consequences you say there because this is often misunderstood. Hmm. We believe in repentance, absolutely. Yeah. And um, we say God forgives. We believe that at 100%. Where I've often found this causes problems in church life is if a leader or anybody really mm. um, does have some kind of significant failing in their morality, um, you'll often get two strands of people. You get those who think there's no room for repentance. They just need to, that's it, they're damned. Yeah. You get those that kind of whitewash it with soppy grace yeah. and say, well, he said he's sorry, he's repented. Mm. Um, and I think this story shows us that because the Lord Nathan actually says to him in that verse eleven, it says, "When he repents, it says Nathan says the Lord has taken away your sin. Yep. Nevertheless, because you have done this, there will be calamity. So when we make poor choices, and Paul will pick up on this in Corinthians, I think it is, we we must not fall into this trap of thinking I can sin now, repent later, yep. because Paul would say, yes, you can sin now and repent later. This story will say you can sin now and repent later, and if your repentance is genuine, you can be forgiven." But that does not mean there won't be consequences. Yeah. The, the removal of consequences is not automatic. No. Our decisions have flow-on effects and consequences for our lives and the lives of those around us. And I like to use that as a much for me as much as a deterrent as anything. Hmm. Is I don't want to do anything that would cause the mess up and, and cause havoc in the world around me and my family and yeah, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, you, you can use. Don't don't fall into the soppy grace that thinks, oh, I'll get you there forgiven, back in the pulpit straight away and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. No, there needs there needs to be an understanding that, that you'll mm. live out consequences. There'll be there'll be things you need to work out as a result of that. Mm. There'll be damage that will be done that will be seemingly irreparable. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the grace of God may take may repair things, but there's no guarantee. And that God doesn't seem to guarantee that there'll be a repairing of our sinful thoughts this side of eternity. Yeah. One day He'll wipe away every tear, but not necessarily yet. Mm. And the, and the idea is that we worship a God of justice as well. That's right. There's a justice component. If there's justice for all those except for those who are in leadership or that Correct. have a, some sort of special gifting uh, is just so flawed and so dangerous that in, there needs to be consequences. Yes. Um, doesn't mean that they forever get banished to never be seen again. No, it often it, it has to do be. with the heart of the person. It's, yeah, it's more about I very rarely see people person. take the Psalm 51 attitude, mm. which is I sinned. I did wrong. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to tell you my story, yep. and I, I'm going to teach you how you can 
do right in that story. Psalm 51, it says halfway through that story, it says, now I'm going to teach transgressors your ways. Yep. So David takes his own experience and uses it as an instruction. Sadly, I rarely see that. No. Yeah, I was going to say I, the same I see, thing. I see leaders who say they're sorry, but then they try and short circuit the process and in the end, it's all about them. Yep. Or it appears to be about them. I can't judge what's going on inside a person's heart. Yep. But it appears to be about them as opposed to this genuine repentance, which says, I'm sorry that I did harm. I'm sorry that my actions have caused you grief. Yeah. I think we need to be aware of that. Very much so is that what we see is that it's either one or the other in terms of, but there's like three options is that people, they say they're sorry and then, They'll have they'll step away and have some time away and reflect on what they've done, and then suddenly they pop up a month later, yeah, six weeks later, and they're speaking at some other church or they're leading some ministry somewhere or and they're putting themselves back on the front page. Yeah, I think we need to take the lowest place of a table and let the Lord exalt us. Yeah, uh, or they the other one is that they get is that which is a cultural thing, which is what people fight against back. So that's why they sort of. People, you get the people that rally behind those people because mm. what they see, they see the other extreme is where they've made a moral failing and they get banished to never be heard from again. Yeah, that's Which right. And that's understandable. Need, some people they, might need that. Though. They might. And sometimes they, the people get banished and don't get another chance. So, yeah. you know, I, I think there's it's kindness that says, oh, look, give them another chance. They've yeah. done a lot of good. Yeah. Absolutely. David did a lot of good and he did get another chance. So yeah. I agree with you. It's, it's more that we just need to, uh, as leaders, well, for all of us, whether we're leaders or not, when we sin... We need to test our own heart for repentance. When our actions yep. cause harm to someone else, to what degree are we genuinely remorseful for the damage that we have caused to others? Yeah, I think that should be in the narrative, which it is in Psalm fifty-one. Yeah, David is aware of the damage and the flow-on effect. And I think that uh, we need to know that not only the damage that we have done, but coming back and say launching another church plant uh, in like you know three months' time doesn't necessarily show any respect or care for the victims or the people that yes, that, exactly. that was perpetrated against. Yeah. Um, but then very rarely, and I, I can think of one example, I'm not going to say them out loud or anything like that, but I can think of one example of someone who's gone through a moral failing, spent years out of limelight and come back in, not to take a senior leadership church position, something like that, but has mm. come back into the Christian fold and working in some sort of capacity in the Christian circles not elevating themselves, not trying to, not necessarily saying that they've completely worked through or completely no. repent. Like we, as you said, we can't see their heart, but that seemed more, that comes across as a more genuine, uh, genuine response to God. Yes. Or for them, whether it's that God's exposed what's happened or whatever. Yeah, whether you repent because you get caught or you repent. It's the same Otherwise, thing. It, ultimate, it's the repentance of the issue. Yeah. And repentance, Paul will say, is great gain. Got, you know, there's definitely a good thing to repent. Yep. But the repentance is this outworking of restitution as well. And I think restitution mm. in all areas of our life, if we, you know, if we sin in our marriage or if we get angry with our spouse or we get unusually, unhealthily angry with our children, mm. there's a definite repentance there that says, I'm sorry. Yeah. I realized that I, I gave in to my desires, my sense of self-righteousness, I'm sorry that that has caused you harm. I've had to do this with my kids yeah. at times where I was too strong with them or I, t I got too angry. I mean, it moved from being 
a, a dis- godly discipline to being a selfish anger against them because I was hurt or inconvenienced. Yep. And so I think if we can get to this pattern where repentance requires some form of restitution, where it's possible, restitution may not be, may never be able to re- bring full restitution to that person, but there needs to be that leaning in yep. and, and a public acknowledgement of, I'm sorry that my actions have caused you harm. Um, and I'm, I'm really repentant of that. And yep. almost to the point where if there's anything I can do to bring restoration to that, to bring some kind of um, compensation to that, I think that shows that shows what true repentance is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh, well, that's a topic that probably we'll move on from. That we can yeah. probably keep going on but that. that story, though, but 11, that 12, is, yeah. is, the heart, is the heartbeat of – it's a great story of sin and how yep. we deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll move on then. Will um, we? Yeah. Oh, it's – there's a little bit at the end which we didn't necessarily get to, but I don't it. think it's um, – trying to think if there was some – I haven't got anything highlighted here, but it's that David um, captures – is it Rabbah? Ah, Rabbah, yes. Yeah, so yeah. That's um, the city that he was at war with yeah. in the beginning. So, yeah, goes in, captured it, um, you know, captured their water supply, pretty much just gone in and they've got them. Uh, so, like, that's Jibe sent the messenger back to David saying that, you know, we've fought – We've won. We've captured the water supply. You capture the water supply. You capture the town. They can't. That's right. They can't keep fighting. They can't uh, keep resisting. Um, so David went across there, uh, and they capped it. Uh, they removed the the crown from the king's head, and he placed it on his own. The crown um, was made of gold, set with gems, weighed seventy five pounds. Uh, I don't know how his neck was still standing. That's um, a heavy, heavy crown. Yep. Um, and he. Yeah, David just took it as long with the you know everything else was in there. Uh, made slaves of the people, forced them in, uh, into labor, and that is how he dealt with the people of the Ammonite towns, pretty much. So this is just a, uh, I suppose, a summary of okay, the Ammonites. So it started with the with the Ammonites rebelling, yep. um, sort of breaking that breaking that peace treaty that, peace that, treaty that they had, yep. uh, to then. Then obviously was we had that David Bathsheba and then David's repentance, uh, well, under, like well, rebuke on David and his understanding of what he had done and then his repentance. That's right. And then into just sort of finishing off that uh, Ammonite um, sort of part of the story is that they went pretty much. This is what they did with every town. They went in, yes. they just took them over. Yep, that was it. Done. That was it. Was done. Yep. I love Joab's kind of almost sarcastic humour here. Mm. Well, you've been carrying on back home, Dave. I've yeah. been taking the city. If you don't take it, come now. Take yeah. the glory, I will. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty much just sort of that thing of – and it, again, like it shows that this is where David should have been. That's right. That This is the – finishes the story arc from two chapters before yeah. – chapter 10. Finishes it right back here at the end. Should have been on the battlefield in the first place and none of this would have happened. Yep. All right. All right. Now we go on to chapter 13. Chapter 13. So we are now moving to 2 Samuel 13. Um, so for some of you out there, you might know where this story goes to next. Um, so this is um, – we're going to trigger warning out yeah, there Yeah, I anyone? think so too. This some is a pretty sensitive topics. topic. Yeah. This is um, pretty messed up stories that happen and this is all that flow-on effect from Daniel from, – from David, sorry, mm. and his sin. So I think it's worth just being aware that I know that stories when we're talking about this kind of sexual violence can – uh, can be traumatizing to people. So if you feel like you need to skip this chapter, 
jump ahead to the next one. We totally understand. I always say these things are in scripture and the scripture isn't overly trauma, trauma informed, but that doesn't mean, uh, it means we're wiser and we understand the, now we understand the impacts of this sort of stuff where they probably didn't understand it in those days, Mm. but it does show the full array of human sinfulness and their flow on effect. So I think that's why the stories are there, but we understand it's not for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so this is the the story of, um, oh, I should say, if you don't want, did you want to skip ahead? Just check your show notes because there's a oh, timestamp. Yeah. You can go, go straight to the next chapter. Yeah. I was, yeah, that's probably good to know where you're skipping forward to. So yes, that's right. Walk back into the conversation halfway yep. through. Uh, so yeah. So for those who are sticking around uh, for chapter 13, uh, so this is uh, the story about the, the rape of Tamar. Uh, so this is where we, yeah, as you said, we see the consequences of, uh, of David's actions um, and his sin. Uh, and the, well, it's foretold that we see that he's, pretty much his family is going to be a little bit messed up from here on out. Yes, it is. Uh, so... Uh, Pretty much we start off saying uh, David's son, uh, Absalom, had a beautiful sister named Tamar. And Amnon, her half-brother, felt – and this is where it can get confusing because they all start with A's. They do. So we'll try our best to uh, make yeah, it the way straightforward. <laughs> we'll try. Uh, so it doesn't get confusing. So uh, you've got Absalom and his sister Tamar. You've got Amnon, who is the half-brother. So from um, another mother. So of Brother of from both. another mother. Absalom and Tamar, and he fell desperately in love with Tamar. So he became so obsessed uh, that he became ill. So uh, this is one of those ones where the it's that unchecked sin. And so it's a little bit of heart back to what happened with David uh, is that he saw and then uh, he – Yes, correct. He saw, he took. He took. He saw, desired, uh, and he took. And it's and this happens again here. Yes, it does. Uh, except this one is, well, we don't actually know how much different this is to what happened with David, because we don't actually, you know, with David and Bathsheba, it doesn't go into as much detail about what happened, but where here it does with um, with Amnon. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So uh, Tamar was uh, a virgin, uh, so she was. Pretty much, yeah. She was waiting for marriage. She was just don't know what age she is, um, and but she must be the way she speaks. So she must be getting close to the at least close to or the age of, so, yeah. of marriage. Yep. Because um, yeah, she speaks very well of herself in throughout the um, throughout this um, this chapter. Uh, so yeah, so Amnon had a very crafty friend cousin named Jonadab. Now, uh, and he was the son of David's brother, Shimei. Is it Shimei? Shimei, Shimei. yep. Yep. So one day, uh, Jonadab said to Amnon, what's the trouble? Why should the son of a king look so dejected morning after morning? And then Amnon told him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Well, Jonadab said, I'll tell you what to do. And he comes up with his plan. Elaborate plot. Where, and we find out later that it could have just been so much easier, so much easier, so much further, more straightforward than what actually happens here. Yes. Um, but, you know, it, this is what sin does. Uh, this is what, uh, so he is desired this, this for, this for us infatuation. this. Yep. Um, go back to bed and pretend you're ill. When your father comes to see you, ask him to let Tamar come and prepare food for you. Tell him that you'll feel better if she prepares it. 
and as uh, you watch and feeds you with her own hands. So Amnon did this. Uh, King David comes in. He says, can you please ask Tamar to come and look after me, prepare my food, um, prepare my favorite dish and, um, and feed me. Uh, David agrees. So Tamar comes in. So it's just him and Tamar. He said, and then um, as she's, um, but when she set the serving tray before him, he refused to eat. He said, everyone get out of here. Um, so all the servants left and it was just Tamar and Amnon. So he's pretty much removed everyone from the situation. It's only the two of them. And he said, now bring the fruit into my bedroom and feed it to me there. So Tamar took his favorite dish uh, to him. So, but as she was feeding him, he grabbed her and demanded, come to bed with me, my darling sister. And this is where it just, she, Tamar is so quick and very thought out. And like, even in a situation like this, she's very much speaking well of herself. She operates like Uriah did in that previous story. She's the victim here, but she maintains her dignity and her integrity despite this abuse of power. Yeah. So she said, no, my brother, don't be foolish. Uh, Don't do this uh, to me. Such wicked things are not done in Israel. Uh, Where could I go in my shame? And you would be called one of the greatest fools in Israel. Please just speak to the king about it and he will let you marry me. And it's, it's like what your cousin said, hey, let, do this elaborate plot and then just mm. do this. But then when you could have just spoken to the king and said, I would like to marry Tamar. Yeah. Uh, and it could have happened. It would, so, it would appear so, wouldn't it? Uh, so, uh, but Amnon just, he's too caught up. He's, he just wouldn't listen to her and he was stronger than her, so he raped her. Then, Am, uh, then Amnon's love turned to hate and he hated her even more than he loved her. <laughs> That's what does happen. Yeah, and he said, get because out of really, here. really it wasn't about her. No. It was about his own yeah. desires. And so this is where, oh, well, this is where it differs from David, um, where Dave, obviously David tried to cover it all up um, and he tried to do everything else. He probably had some realization that what he did was wrong because he—you could see that his actions were trying to cover it all up. Yep. Uh, where he didn't even try and cover it up. He didn't go to King. He, he like he just flipped so far at the other He's side. He just lost the plot. He just went no. Uh, so uh, Tamar, no, no, Tamar cried, sending me away. Uh, now is worse than what you've already done to me. So she's still holding herself in such a way and that she's even still looking up for, for him even after what this, what has happened. So, yeah. uh, but Amnon just wouldn't listen. He shouted at his servant, demanded, uh, throw this out. woman out, lock yep. the door. So the servant put her out, locked the door uh, behind her. She was wearing a long, beautiful robe as was the custom in those days uh, for the King's virgin daughters but now Tamar tore her robe and put ashes on her head. And then with her face in her hands, she was she went away crying. Um, so before we move on to Absalom and what happens later, um, because we'll probably kick that up into one whole story there, is there anything that we need to bring out of this story that that isn't just, yeah, that is more so looking at the 
like the character of Tamar or because we can we look at Amnon and we can just see that he's just so caught up in his sin that like it even so it made him ill. So he just was so infatuated with her. Yes. That he like that it was it already foreshadowed that there was gonna be no uh it wasn't gonna turn out well. No, that's right. No, because he was like you say, he was so infatuated in his own yep. his own uh desires. Mm. I'm thinking of the scripture in James that says, you know, sin gives it gives, you know, our desires take us away, lure us away which gives birth to sin, which gives birth yep. to death. And that's the pattern that we're seeing here. Um, it's just a warning for us to not live by our desires. This is, mm. I want it, I'll take it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, the interesting thing that I'll pull out of the story is that I have to do some more study on it, but it's funny that Tamar says that David would not allow, would not stop you from marrying me because according to the Mosaic law, mm. they weren't allowed to marry their half-siblings. So Abraham married Sarah as a mm. half-sibling, but that's prior to the Mosaic law. Mm. So it's interesting because um, when Moses came along, which is, you know, three, 300, 400 years before this, the law of the Israelites was that they weren't allowed to marry their half-siblings. So I'm not sure. It, it warrants some more digging there. Yeah, because it's – we talk about like that – it said that like that Israel doesn't allow such a thing like that. Yes. Sort of thing. And that's referring to the that's rape, probably referring incest. To, yes, that's right. That's referring um, to that. Or both. And yes. then But then she's saying that if you ask the king. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where – that's a little bit strange. I, I thought about that, but I didn't really know. I thought yeah, there must have been something else for the royal families, but maybe yeah, I, I can't think there's of anything, nothing. Though. I think it would have been a breach of the Mosaic law. Yeah. Um, but uh, we'll have to – you know, I'd have to do some more digging. The commentators no doubt would have had yeah. some thoughts around that. I think it's probably it potentially is a bit of a side side alley at the moment. Yeah. I think your point to your point is that Tamar holds herself with dignity through all this, and yeah. and she becomes a victim, and uh, and Amnon he, he's just he's a bad dude. Yeah, he's using people for his own gain. Yeah, pretty much yep. just fulfill his selfish desires. That's right. Um, well, here we go. I found something in the in one of the commentary things that said so from that he will not withhold me. So that's yep. Tamar. So that's, oh, that, I think that's NRSV's version of what that phrase was there. Yeah. Uh, and it says, it is not likely that their marriage would be allowed because it would have been considered incest. Uh, she may be desperate for a way out of the situation and is saying whatever she needs to in order to convince Amnon to let her leave. Okay. That's so, a fair assumption. Which, yeah, like, which wouldn't... To get her out of the room, basically. Yeah, pretty much is, or at least to stop that situation to then potentially have clearer thoughts come out of that. Absolutely. Well, it would have given her time to go away and say to to David and to her brother, he tried to rape me. He he propositioned me. Um, And then the consequences might have flowed on. So, yes, that's that's true. That's a valid assumption. Might not have been an actual acknowledgement that that, uh, David would have allowed the marriage more. It was a protective mechanism. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's perfectly legitimate. Yeah. um, To be, you know, we talk about this with, with victims who wear wires and all that sort of stuff. Oh, is it yeah. deceptive? No, it's, it's, you have to be, it has to be a degree of allowance for that yeah. in order to bring justice to a higher good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's not deceptive if you, if you're a victim, if you're a victim. No, no. not at all. No, yeah. not, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's only the patriarchy that would say that was deceptive. Yeah. This is her trying to protect herself and rightly so Yeah. against a, an abuse of power, a stronger man in more position of power mm. than she was. So yeah, I think it's legitimate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we'll move uh, move further forward. So 
so this is where Absalom comes in. So he saw her and asked, is it true that, um, that Abnon has been with you? Uh, well, my sister, keep quiet for now since he's your brother. Don't worry about it. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. That's tragic. Yeah. And I think that's, as we, we can see that Absalom didn't let it go. He did like look after his sister. And yeah, that's he good did. that he did that. And, but then he also, you, when he says, don't worry about it, it's foreshadowed very much what actually ends up happening um, because, you know, well, it comes up in the next, uh, in the later on, that pretty much he gets his revenge on. Yes, revenge he does. On he gets his revenge. Yeah, and you could see that. So that's this is this sin piling on sin, piling on sin, and this is all as of a consequence of of David's actions. So, um, so when D, uh, King David heard uh, what had happened, he was angry and thought Absalom never spoke. To, uh, and though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about this, he hated Amnon deeply. Uh, because of what he'd done to his sister. So I think it's funny, not funny, interesting, um, that that's all that really is referred to by King David is that he heard about it and he wasn't happy. Like he was angry. Yeah. Um, I know that there are versions where, like, so even here it just says, yeah, like in both the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, and in the Greek version um, of this verse, it adds, but he did not punish his son Adnan because he loved him uh, and he was his firstborn. Right. So, but like it's taken out of this one. So whether or not like, you know. Yeah. Regardless of whether it's taken out or whatever, I think it does. I think it it paints this picture of we're going to see this play out in the rest of the next chapter or so where David is vividly aware that this mess is the result of his mess. Yeah. It's almost like he can't bring himself going to see this even with Absalom, he can't bring himself to fully deal with it Yeah, because and he's aware that it's partly his fault. And it taints his actions. Yes, it does. It, he's not uh, objective in this. No. no definitely not. Uh, that's what happens with family. You can never yep. be objective with that's family. That's right. True. So we move on. So two years later, so Absalom has been sitting on this for two years. Yeah, that's a long time to stew on something, isn't it? Yep. So when Absalom's sheep um, were being sheared, Absalom uh, invited the king's sons to a feast. He went to the king and said, uh, my sheep uh, sheep shearers are now at work. So this is pretty much this festival type celebration of the shearing of the sheep and all that sort of stuff. So it's like a um, this opportunity to celebrate and have this special occasion. So he offered, he asked for David to come. He said, uh, no. Uh, if we all came, we'd be too much of a burden to you. Um, but Absalom pushed and pushed, and we know why he's got an ulterior motive for this. Uh, pushed and pushed, and he said, "If you can't come, how about sending my brother uh, Amnon with us?" Why Amnon? The king asks. Uh, but Absalom just he just kept pushing until he finally agreed, uh, and then Amnon went along, uh, and Absalom prepared a feast fit for a king. So then Absalom's plot comes out. He says, wait until Abnon gets drunk, then at my signal, kill him. Kill him. Don't be afraid. I'm the one who's giving you the command, take courage and do it. So he gave the signal and Abnon was murdered. Then the other sons of the king jumped on their mules and fled. Before they thinking they might be murdered too. Yeah. yeah. So this again is another reflection of that outworking of like David not really – if he took proper action against Amnon, 
whatever yes. that is. Well, according to the law of Moses, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, we're going to stick to the letter of the law of Moses. Yeah, I know we're going to look at the spirit of the law of Moses. Yeah, but that was um, that was incest. Yeah. It was rape. They're capital offences. Yeah. So um, I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm passing judgment on that, but I'm saying yeah. in, in that context, David really should have. Technically, I guess he should, should have killed Amnon. Yeah. It's a capital offence. Yeah. Um, there should have been some sort of punishment. Definitely should have been some sort of, no, I think that's the point is even if it wasn't, even if it wasn't, um, you know, murder, killing him in restitution, should have been more significant consequences than this. Yeah. And that may be partly why Absalom, we're going to see his resentment towards his father builds because yeah. he's thinking of his sister and he's going, you've yeah. chosen that rapist over my sister, your daughter, yeah. hmm. and that build that all builds. That's yeah. failure to deal with um, wrongdoing also can build. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then, move, uh, going forward, so the word came back uh, to Jerusalem, and the report uh, reached David that Absalom had killed all of the king's sons, and none were left alive. So that gossip train got out there, and um, yeah, pretty much didn't take long to get out there, no. did it? No. The fact that they're pretty much they some Bruce them probably would have been riding straight back to Jerusalem. So for it to get back that quick, that's right. Uh, then the uh, the king got up, tore his robe, threw himself on the ground, um, and they so did his advisors. Um, but then Jonadab, uh, where do we hear Jonadab? Yeah, he started the whole mess in yeah, the first he's the one place. That started this, so he's he is a master at conniving for power. Yeah. He's manipulating Amnon in the beginning and here he is yeah. on the other side after Amnon's being killed. Yeah. He's still looking to gain, you know, carry favour for himself yeah. in the eyes of the king. Which is, yeah, just funny. Mm. Um, like the, like that. So, yeah, like, well, Jonadab, so it was, it was all the brothers, all the king's sons, wasn't it, originally that we said? So Jonadab was there, was he technically would have been included in that as being the brother, like the their cousin sort of thing. He might have been at the party. Yeah. Um, I would have re- I would assume he, he may have been at the party. Yeah. Um, but then again, if he was a good friend of Abnon's, or maybe he went with Amnon to the party. Yeah, possibly. Because yeah. you see, clearly he was no friend of Absalom. No. But maybe he went with Amnon to the party, yeah. Yeah. It would appear, I mean, if he knows this story, yeah. he must know um, that he must have been there to see that, no, no, I haven't killed all the brothers. He says, yep. no, I don't believe all the king's sons have been killed. It was only Amnon. Yep. Absalom's been plotting this ever since Amnon raped his sister. No, my lord, the king, your sons aren't all dead. It was only Amnon. Meanwhile, Absalom escaped. So he's like vying and currying favour with the king. Yep. Um, then the watchmen of the Jerusalem saw a great crowd coming down the hill from the road uh, on the road from the west. Ran to tell the king, I see a crowd of people coming um, from the Hur- Horonaim? Horonaim Road, uh, along the side of the hill. Look, Jonadab told the king, there they are now. The king's sons are coming, just as I said. So again, like talking himself up. Yep. Um, then uh, they soon arrived, weeping and sowing, and the king and all his servants wept bitterly um, with them. And David mourned many days for his son uh, Amnon. And then Absalom fled to his grandfather, uh, Talmai, son of Amin. Amihud, king Amihud, of Geshur. So this king is a, yep. another na- vassal kingdom, another nation. Yep. Um, he stayed there with Geshur, uh, in Geshur for three years and King David now reconciled to Abnon's death, longed to be reunited with his son Absalom. Mm. So it's funny that David mourned the, son, uh, the death of his son, Abnon, even after what he did, 
which is still fine. We can still grieve the lost yes. son, even if they yeah, are a horrible person. Yep. But we don't hear anything other like about about Tamar, about Tamar, no. and again, that's it's the sort of things like that that people think is written by the patriarchy. Yeah, you know, there's she is she's really a pawn in this. Now they, there was obviously a story in there where it showed her integrity. Yeah, but then she's written out of the story. Now that's probably yep. the author's. Um, mindset. They're trying to tell that story of mm. the flowing off its effect of David's sin, but no, we don't. Mm. She's written out of the story when she's in Absalom's house. Yeah, um, we don't know what David thought about Tamar. I'd like to think that David knew that she was a victim, but we only hear David saying he's longing for Absalom, his grief for Amnon. Well, the, the very much that if we look at the David, the David Bathsheba story, that he probably like there's no real, um, no real. What's the word? Like there's no real recognition that that Bathsheba was a victim. No, because pretty much it's he killed Uriah and then yeah. took her as his wife. Correct. I think we need to. I'm grateful we live in a a time where we are recognizing the voice of the victims a lot more. Yep. Because these people aren't they're pawns in a game mm. of power, game of thrones even, and um, I'm aware that we're recognizing that now, which is good. I think it's very good. Yep. And necessary. Um, All right, we're going to go to chapter 14. Yep, chapter 14. Okay. 2 Samuel chapter 14. Um, yeah, so in between chapters, Rowan and I have a quick chat. And yeah, I was just chatting about, you know, the, the context. It's very hard with these individual chapters to drill down and get a whole lot out of each individual chapter. We can pull out certain things. Mm. But the way to read these stories that we've been doing for the last month and still got another month or so to go, this story of David and and, and Saul's life too, to some extent, basically first and second Samuel, is to see it as a come up to a 30,000 view and see it as a commentary on human behavior, poor choices and good choices and the outworking of that. I often say it's a psychologist's dream, this stuff, because – in here is it's a it's a sociological study on human behaviour, and so if you see it that way, come out of the nitty gritty a little bit and look at the flow on effects we've been talking about. I think that's the way to read, perhaps more so than perhaps anything else in the Old Testament anywhere. These stories of Saul and David are the best character studies going around. Yeah, and that's and and that sort of came up because it was just like it's it's sort of hard because we want to. I suppose like the heart of this is that we're trying to find things in the Bible, like that's what's like the wait, what, like the things are like, Oh, that's a bit strange. Like, Oh, like, what does that mean? Like, and maybe dive into, you know, certain words or phrases or stories in a particular way. But when we're looking at something as big as this, yes, is that it's hard to sometimes drill down other than just sort of going through the story and, and pulling out things about character and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, so do it's yeah. More so, we're not just trying to skip over things. If there are things in there that you find that were interesting that we may have missed, please let us know put so then question. we can put it put us a question because we want to know. Um, it's very easy, you know. Rowan's read through, would have read through this numerous times. Um, yep. I know that I've read through it um, a few times, other than doing my study for this, but also done study on these chapters on, yep. on the book of um, Samuel, both one and two Samuel as well, um, through college. So it's just there are things that both of us will just take as assume, 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 assume knowledge. knowledge. Yes, that's um, right. And if this is the first time you read it and there are phrases, there are maybe um, 
there's parts in a chapter that we've just sort of skimmed over. Not necessarily. It was more so like I'm as much as both of us, most much as we can, we're trying to take the view of someone who hasn't necessarily read the stories before. Even though we do say this is a story you've probably heard before. Yeah, you're doing pretty well just illuminating the story. So yeah. don't be too hard on yourself there. I think yeah. I was saying you've, it's very clear you've done some study on this and you've done some prep because I think it's taking people along the journey. Yeah. The thing is, and they're not hard stories to read. They might be challenging stories like the Tamar story yeah. in the last chapter, but it's a narrative. It's an historical yeah. narrative, which does lend itself to easier reading than maybe getting bogged down in the prophets or the law of Deuteronomy or something. Yeah. So you can read through first and second Samuel from start to finish in a couple of hours yeah. and get a pretty good handle on the whole thing. Yeah, definitely. And it's probably, and as you said, it's probably the best way to actually do that is yes, to read it, is. it as a, as a whole. And this can be then something to then Partly what we tried to do to. is have this, you know, have this here mm. multiple times in these weeks, all bush, bunched together. I did it on purpose because um, it's better than just cherry picking verses out of this story. Yeah. Yep. So even though we look, as we said at the beginning, even though this is spiritual gifts is the sort of the theme for this week. Yep. And we'll talk about that. And more we'll talk in, about it a lot in the uh, in the New Testament. Uh, this is again just continuing that story, but this is you can see just the way, and as you would have seen in other weeks, the like you can even be a reminder to look, think back if you've listened to the previous weeks or the ones coming forward, is about the way the Spirit has worked through David and his life and. You know whether it was back with the, through the story of Saul, then David coming through, or through David's life, um, you can sort of you can see that yes. even in the hard times and that's correct, uh, and the harder stories to read as well. So yep, all right, let's jump into this chapter then. Yep, so Joab, uh, so that's the uh, right hand man of David's of David. captain of his army. Yep, who happens uh, to be David's nephew. Uh, so he ranges for Absalom's return. So that's the that's the title here. So just a quick overview, pretty much. Job just devised a plan to bring Absalom back to Jerusalem. Absalom uh, has been banished uh, from Jerusalem for two years at this point. Uh, and probably like a lot of people would – like a lot of the reading, like they – he would have been under some sort of watchful eye from the from yes. the king anyway. Yes, that's right. Even though he wasn't, wasn't there. Wasn't so, present, yep. Um, and then – Eventually, he's just finally welcomed back. So this is just the story of how that happened. Yes, this is the story of him finally getting back to the king again. Yeah, uh, before uh, the next chapter, which will be picked up next week. Uh, for the rebellion. Yeah, of, yeah. Yep, the, the coup d'etat. But this is, yeah, this is that story of Brent coming back into the household after those three years. Yeah, so, yeah, as I said, so Joe arranged um, – uh, Job realized how much the king longed to see Absalom. So it started from he could see that the king wanted to reconcile with Absalom. Yes, but he also wanted to save face. I yeah. think that's the thing. So Joe pretend. Yeah, because we see it even later on. Yeah. Yes. Totally. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's again, it's, it has worked once before, so it's going to work again. Yep. They are, Job arranges for someone to go and uh, speak to David Uh Pretty much in the form of a story, so it's yes, it's, it, it's parable, a living it? parable, I suppose. This one it a little is, bit yep. more. She's pretending. She's to. pretending to be someone else. Yep. Uh, so, Job says, "Pretend you're in mourning. Wear mourning clothes. Don't put on lotions. Act like a woman that's been mourning for the dead uh, for a long time. And then go and tell the ki- uh, go to the king and tell him the story um, that I'm about to tell you. Tell you. Then the woman from Tekoa approached the king. She bowed with a face down uh, in deep respect." And said, O king, help me. They replied, What is the trouble? Alas, I'm a widow. My husband is dead. My two sons had a fight out in the field. And since no one was there to stop it, 
one of them was killed. Now the rest of the family is demanding, let us have your son. We will execute him for murdering his brother. He doesn't deserve to inherit his family's property. They want to extinguish the only coal I have left and my husband's name and family will disappear from the face of the earth. Leave it to me, the king told her. Go home and I'll see to it that no one touches him. So then she says, thank you. And then she just keeps on, pretty much just keeps throwing it in there saying, you know, thank you. Uh, You know, don't let them criticize you for helping me. Like she's just buttering up the king and just keeps reiterating going, like, you know, if, you know, make sure that, you know. She's being very winsome. Yeah, just making sure that, you know, make sure that nothing, that that no one can ever go back on what you're going to decree here. Make sure that you're covered. Make sure that I'm covered. Make, so pretty much backing him into a corner. Yes, that's right. For when it's, when it finally twigs what is actually going on. Because she then says, please swear to the Lord, your God, that you won't let anyone have vengeance against my son. I want no more bloodshed. And then... David backs it and says, yeah, yes, yeah, don't worry, it's all going to be worry, good. Don't worry, don't worry, don't uh, worry. And then she she does more buttering up and saying, you know, uh, you've convicted just And then she says, you have convicted yourself in making this decision because you have refused to bring your own um, banished son, uh, bring home your own banished son. Uh, all of us must die eventually. Our lives are like water spilled out on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God does not uh, just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back uh, when we have been separated from him. And so, yeah, just rolling the story forward. And then she's like, oh, you know, did Joab put you up to this? Yes, he did. And then she's like, instead of just being like, okay, you got me. She's like, oh, my Lord, the King, how can I deny it? Nobody can hide anything from you. She's still buttering him up. Yeah. So she's pretty much just keeping uh, David on side uh, and just, Making it. So. Then he calls Joab in and says, hey, yeah. okay. I, I get go it. Go and get him. Go and get him. Yeah, yeah. But okay. he can come back. Yeah. But he can't see my face. Yeah. And that's the thing is just like, so he, so this started, Joab saw that the that David longed yes. for, for him to come back, uh, for Absalom to come back. And then he's like, he had to pretty much get it done through this woman to really convince him to then say it's okay for him to come yes, back. that's right. But he's like, no, but I don't want to see him. Yeah. He's still wrestling with the, the guilt and the yeah. shame and the frustration and the anger of what Absalom's done. It's all mixed in together, yeah. which is it's human behavior, isn't it? We're yeah. not we're not black and white people. There's nuance. No. There's complexity in our behaviors. And it's very hard to rightly dissect all our motives on every decision we make. Sometimes they they are gray like this. Yeah. We want to see him back, but, but I can't see him back and all that kind of yeah. stuff. All of the actions and all the things that happened all stemmed from so like even if you don't go back as far as the you know the whole situation with David uh, Uriah and Bathsheba, you come forward to even then his choices of not really acting in the way that he should have acted as king. Yes, that's right. And even like just you know first off with Tamar, like and with Amnon and yep. Amnon and and everything on that line. And yeah, so we're not, as we're going to go and see, you know, his mistake was not letting Absalom back in because yeah. that actually led, led ground, gave grounds for Absalom's frustration at his father to yeah. rise even further. And the problem was now he wasn't in a distant kingdom where he couldn't do any damage. Yeah. He starts to manipulate all yeah. of Israel to his own scheming. Yeah. So um, so funny when they start – because we talked about this in the last podcast that we did. Now Absalom was praised as the most handsome man in all of Israel – 
it's funny that when they're trying to set someone up, um, potentially even someone set up to be like, no, that's not the person. You don't look at the outside, but people end up do looking at the outside is that they always talk about how they look. Yes. Um, and uh, he was flawless from head to foot. Uh, he cut his hair only once a year uh, and then only because it was so heavy. Um, when he weighed it out, it became five pounds. It's a lot of hair. That is a lot of hair. And it's just, it's interesting that whenever the focus comes on someone's outward appearance, like it, the amount of times that it reflects on that, it, that's a reflection on the people, I think. So so much so, like when we looked at it, when whatever it was in Samuel, we were looking at last time when they were uh, anointing David, it's like when the first son came out, he was, you know, tall, handsome, yep. you know, everything that a good king should be, uh, apparently. Uh, and he's like, God's like, no, 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 we don't look at the outside appearance. We look at the heart. Look at the heart. Uh, and then yet he still picked David. Then we yep. did the whole. Yep, that's right. He was still apparently good looking anyway. But yep. then we get here, the talk is about Absalom being this very good looking guy. He was yep. tall. Lots of charisma. Hair. Like so. It was like that masculinity thing. Yeah? Yep. He had the hair. like it was. He looked everything. like the obvious hair. Oh, I yep. want him to be my king. And it's probably <laughs> setting up. This is setting up for what happens um, after after this chapter as well. Yes. Um, yeah, so he had three sons and one daughter, uh, and his daughter's name was Tamar, and she was very beautiful. So that's that full circle of uh, from what happened to his sister, um, that he's named his own daughter Tamar. And he's probably like, I'm going to do look after Tamar the way that I wish I look, was able to look after my sister um, by naming his daughter that way. Mm. Um, so Absalom lived in Jerusalem for two years, but then never got to see the king. So not only was he out of, was it two or three years? He was out of, out of Jerusalem for two or three years. Three years, yep. And then he was back in Jerusalem for two years, but wasn't even allowed in the residence. He wasn't no, allowed to see the no, king at all. sitting basically out of the palace. So that's five years since he's seen his father. That's correct. The king. And so... He sent for Joab to ask to intercede for him, but Joab refused. Um, he kept asking, kept asking. And so he's like, well, your barley fields are next door, Joab. Just set them on fire. Make it so you have to come and see me. Yep. Uh, and then he's like, "Can you like I did that so that you would come and see Try me. Try and get your attention. Can you go and speak to um, speak to King David uh, on my behalf? Like why? And he says, because I, um, I wanted you to ask the king why he brought me back from Gesha if he didn't intend to see me? I might as well have stayed there. Uh, let me see the king. If he finds me guilty of anything, then let him kill me. And probably at that point he knows that he's not going to do it because he didn't do it with his he brother. Didn't do it with Amnon. So no, um, that's right. There's every chance that you know he's just going to be okay with that. So Job told King what Absalom said. Uh, then at last David summoned, uh, summoned Absalom, came and bowed low before the king. And the king kissed him. And there's a re reconciliation of some yep. kind there. But the yep. damage is done, as we'll go on and see <coughs> in the yep. next chapters. But we're going to head to the Into New the Testament New now. Testament, yeah. All right, here we go. Okay, now we jump into the New Testament, Acts chapter 6. Um, and we get to opportunity now. Like this is where we'll see a little bit more around that the theme that we're looking at uh, this week with the spiritual gifts. 
And um, as you said before, yeah, it won't be as um, – you'll be surprised. Like you'll probably maybe recognise some of the verses. Uh, there'll be one definitely that everyone I think will uh, will recognise. But just the amount of times that we – yeah, they sort of touch on what spiritual gifts are. Or yes. The, the, you know, the work the, of the, the spirit. The work of the spirit. And not as much as like a, any – detailed or prescriptive Not a thing. prescriptive list necessarily, but just no. that, that, there's that given that the spirit is working in and through the church, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I'll just quick overview. So this is verse chapter six. So verses one to seven, uh, the church continues to grow um, as conflict arises between sort of the two cultures. Yes, that's um, right. It's a cultural... Rise, uh, a language barrier. The representative church. Et like Between the, the speaking Jews, uh, the Greek speaking Jews, um, they sort of rise. So Stephen is one of those. And pretty much this is just that um, anointing of some of those um, people to sort of take on part of the um, the works of the church. Um, we'll come back into a bit more detail in a minute. and then So basically they were, there was a – there was disputes arising in the church mm. with distribution of food for widows. Yeah. And the Hebrew, the Greek-speaking Jews were saying, look, you're favouring the Hebrew-speaking Jews. Yeah. That's really what's going on here. The, and um, you're favouring one side over another. Yeah. And it's a tension. I think the thing we need to learn is that bigger church doesn't that's not necessarily mean a big yeah. church. I mean, this church has gone through a massive growth, and this is the mm. first time we see that all's not well, and that's because that's human behaviour. Yeah, that's what happens. Um, you know, even with best intentions, we still fall short. We miss the mark. Yeah. And so there's not to say these people were doing it intentionally, no. but they just simply, I feel this as a pastor all the time, trying to be all things to all people. I can't, I'm vividly aware of how how easy it is for me to let someone down at the expense of someone else, even when I'm not trying to. Yeah. So that's that's why they recognise, hey, we can't do this on our own. We need yeah. a team. Yeah, and with growth comes tension. That's correct. We're seeing yep. that here. Um, oh, yeah, we'll just we'll go through verse 1 to 7 first. And so um, the, I suppose the key point in here, so I found it interesting. So let me just bring up my little note thing. I think that was on here. So the difference between um, the wording that they chose to choose to use in different, very, uh, in different um, translations uh, and I think I spoke last time about the, the NRSV. Um, so we're looking mainly through as the NLT. Um, so in verse two is the, I suppose the first one pick, um, pick out said, so the 12 called a meeting of all believers, they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. Now that sounds pretty abrupt. And like, if if you read that in it in and of itself, you'd be like, hang on. You that's think they're bit... belittling the food program as though it's less important. Yeah, or like, yeah, well, why should we? The, yes. the apostles. Why should we do all the menial yeah. stuff? That's um, how it does read, doesn't it? Yeah. So, but then if we have a look at the NRSV, and this is why I like sometimes important not to just good to look at different versions because yep. it just gives you a bit of a different understanding because that's a different leaning the way they write it. It says, uh, and the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, "It is not right uh, that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables." So, it's a bit more of a slant here or wait on tables or keep accounts is what yes. they Yep. So then the reason that they then do the next part, like if I read that, that sounds more like, okay, they, they know that their priority is the word of God for them. Yes. 
And it's not priority for them as though that's some glorious thing. No, it's because it's that's his priority. And Pastor Jeff's always saying to me, I need to free myself from other stuff so I can spend more time in the word yeah. and prayer. And that's absolutely right. It's not that I need that because it's an easy job. Some, some ways it's a very s- serious job, mm. but it's necessary for the benefit of the building up of the body of Christ. Yeah. And if we find ourselves doing some other things, Pastor Phil says, if you're doing what uh, only what you, if you're doing what someone else can be doing, you're not doing what only you can do. Yeah. So it's not like they dropped the ball on this. Yeah. They recognised it was important. They just said it's not our calling. Yeah. And then they said, therefore, friends, like the, so they then continue. And I'll, I'm going to read from the NRSV because I think it sort of says it well. It says, therefore, friends, uh, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to the task. So they're, they're saying that we know what we should be doing. Yep. Um, so therefore, let's select se- uh, seven men. Don't just go and find a of ra- good random seven dudes yeah. who are oh, you good enough. No. It, it's not, this it's is not a serious to the, task. You know, the, to anyone who sticks a hand up. No. Let's go and select seven men yep. of good standing, full of the spirit or um, and of wisdom, who we may appoint to the task. Yes. So they're giving high importance to their character, being full of the spirit, so having yep. an understanding of the spirit and being in touch with the spirit and and wisdom. And wisdom, faith, all those things, yep. So this uh, – first I want to give context because you could read that – I read that NLT one and I've read that before and it just seemed like – it just doesn't – because then the way they continue into verse 3, and so brothers select seven men and it's just like it just doesn't read as well in terms of – especially with coming out of Solomon and people in authority, you know, yeah, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's right. And then, so, and particularly, it, and if you've experienced that, you could read this and go, oh, typical church. Just you, know? you just using us. Yeah. yeah, or just, you know, going, oh, well, that that's a that's a blow us. It almost can read that way. Mm. So, so it's, it's a great point to put the context there and go, no, this was a significant promotion. This was a valuable role. Yeah. This wasn't going around waiting on tables. There's, you know, there's yeah. a lot, there's thousands of people here. So yeah. this is, this is a management position. Yeah. This is a, an account keeping record position. Make sure that everyone mm. gets, you know, there's a whole lot of strategic stuff that's going into this to make sure it's fair yeah. and equitable. Yeah. And they didn't just go and find the person that's good at making food, find the person that's good at ke- um, keeping tabs on people, find that like, you know, they just uh, said- I see where you're going. They've actually gone and said- First they, importance yeah. is their character, character and being full of faith in the spirit. spirit. And then we said, so that's it's, good. They're, they're not worrying about what their gifts are, like what their Great natural Jimmy. talents are. They're worried about first and foremost who they are as a person, yep. that, they, that they are in touch with the spirit, they have wisdom. Like it's that. It's, Great for anybody in leadership to know yep. that. It's very easy to go, that person looks like they've got the job. Yep. They're good, they can do the job. Yep. But uh, character beats competency every time. Yep. Um, you can train competency. You can't necessarily train character and loyalty. Yeah. And I would rather have someone who has a demonstrated integrity in their character and is open and willing to learn mm. than someone who's perfect but is self-righteous and thinks that yeah. they know it all. Yeah. And then and the, and the hard thing for leaders I think as well is because and, – and I and I do this more so because it's like I'm – you know, if anyone does Enneagram, I'm the Enneagram too. Like I'm a, I'm a helper. Um but I was like, and I have, I lean into le- like leadership traits through there myself personally. But I always find it hard is that I never feel as though, like, say so someone comes to me and then says, oh, I want you to do this. I'm not straight away going, yeah, no, I'm the best person for the job, blah, blah, blah. I'm sort of like, oh, I don't know. Like, you know, I, whether or not I say it to them or I say it myself, like, I, am I the best person for the job? Mm. 
and I and now this can sound come across as like I'm trying to talk myself up here, but I'm not trying to. I'm trying to explain that. Um, I know that I'm not always going to be the best person job. I know that um, by me stepping into a position that I'm going to have people of way more competence. Okay, I hear where you're coming from. I know that there's going to be yep. people that are going to potentially could do the job better than I can, right. but I've been put there not because of my skills per but se. because of integrity issues. Because of the person that I am yep, gotcha. and and my and my faith and my commitment and yep. and who I am in, in yeah. Jesus. Like that's why I'm getting chosen. That's right. And that's not, not to say that you don't develop your skill because that is character. Or that I have some skill in that area. That's right. No, but because we, you know, we have character would demand that we – yeah. We do steward our skill and we go, okay, I've got this yeah. level of skill. I need to go further. I need to yeah. learn more so that I can steward what God has given me. So that yeah. is character, but yeah. it starts with hmm. character, not skill is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, good call. And then so that like so my encouragement to leaders would be is that um, I'm now comfortable in accepting that, uh, a, a leadership position in that way, but – I not I wasn't always like I was always happy to help. I was always happy to do stuff. Right. But automatically stepping up into a leadership thing that I didn't feel as though that I was the best skillful for. Yep. Can you'll be never, challenging. You'll never feel like you've got all the skills. Yeah. And so um, you'll find sometimes teachable. the best people are the ones that initially might say no, but you know that their character is That's the correct. one that should be saying Absolutely. yes. Absolutely. So yep. don't give up on the person that you know has the right character because, and come at it as that I am choosing you because of this. Yes. And I, that's why I want you to take on board because that's what this needs. Yes, it needs that's it right. because of who you are yeah, cool. and the character that you have. Um, yeah. So that's okay. what I was getting at with that. It's good. I like it. Um, so then we go on. Everyone liked the idea. Good <laughs> so, idea. Let's so do yeah. it. Okay. Let's go and find the right people for the, you know, the people with that character. Uh, so or first off, I said, then we apostles uh, can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. So they saying that, we're doing it so that we can do what we're meant yep, to be doing that's right. and we can get people. We're not doing it so we can have a day, extra day off. Yeah. We're doing it so that we can be focused on the things that God's yeah. called and us to be focused on. And we give them responsibility. Correct. Yep. That's right. It's giving it's giving away responsibility, yep. which ultimately grows the kingdom of God. Yeah. Yeah. So first off, they name it um, Stephen. Uh, so, and the first thing it says about him, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And I think that's the fact that they name him first. It's just that they've that he was obviously – I would say he was probably the first one they went to because of who he was. He Some, was just he was about, the standout person. Yep, it sounds like it, doesn't it? Something about Stephen, just the, something about yep. who he was as a person uh, and like that they knew that yeah, he was the man. We'll, we'll learn about Stephen and Philip. Yep. We won't hear much more about Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, no. Pumba. Sorry, it's just an old <laughs> Lion King joke. Yep. Pumba wasn't listed. Timon no. was. Yep. Parmenas and Nicholas of Antioch. Uh, who was a an, convert. An earlier convert. So yeah. he had become, he was a Gentile who had converted to Jew, Judaism earlier. Yeah. But Stephen and Philip will become prevalent in the rest of the book of Acts, yeah. Yeah. Um, so they were presented to the apostles who prayed for them, laid hands on them. Uh, and so, yeah, God's message continued to spread. Numbers uh, greatly increased in Jerusalem. Many Jews. And presumably the widows were happy. Yeah. And many Jewish priests were converted too. So they... So that was the, I think that idea of laying hands, like yes, it's it was an that, appointment, wasn't there? Yeah, it's, um, it's funny that like you know, we always like to throw it like I'll, I'll pray for you, whatever, yep. like that. But there's something about the laying of hands which is talked about is that it's not just like that physical, you know. Okay, well, you know, this is going to be an extra special prayer because I'm putting my hand on you. No. 
it's that idea of um, some seed is like that transfer of anointing. Yep. Like so, we're we're now we we have some sort of anointing yep. for the position we're doing. Trans- we're laying on hands. We're transferring that anointing to you yep. to embolden you. And it's like that show of okay, we're we're doing uh, this to there's something give you that. tangible. Hmm. That ta- or something intangible yeah. that takes place at the anointing of laying on of hands. Yeah. No doubt about that. Yeah. Even right back in the Old Testament, it says Mo- Joshua was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. Yeah. There was that transactional appointing yeah. taking place. We see it happening here. These mm. these dudes are being appointed and commissioned. And mm. we talk about spiritual gifts. It doesn't describe what it was, no. but there's a spiritual transaction that takes yeah. place where these people are different as a result of this appointment, this commissioning, this laying on of hands. Yeah. Um, and did, was that like um, between the pro- – uh, was it Elijah and Elisha? Did he lay hands or no, did he just give him his blessing? Yeah, well, he gave him his blessing and then took yeah. the cloak. Okay, yeah, yeah. But it's the same principle. Same principle it's this yeah. transfer of one to another. Yeah. When we commission as pastors in churches in every C3 conference, new pastors get on stage and Pastor Phil and Chris and mm. other senior leaders in the movement will lay hands on them and appoint them fully aware that there's, there's a significant spiritual transaction that's taking place. Yep. Okay, so then um, so we move forward uh, in the chapter. So from verse 8, so this is the story of Stephen. Uh, so Stephen is arrested uh, and it starts off again. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs from among the people. So this is a man who was He's not an apostle. No, not an apostle. He's a deacon, really. Yeah. And he was appointed to look after yep. the the widows. Yep. Like to Correct. make sure they were being fed yep. and looked after. But we're seeing him here just doing so much more Correct. than just that was what was anointing him for. So and that's because of I think it's because of that spiritual transition. That spiritual, yeah. Transaction takes place. His character, as you say, leads to a growth in him. Yeah. He goes, I've got more to more in me to add to the kingdom yeah. of God. And so he's doing these miracles. Um, didn't go down well for his Stephen, no, but, but no, no. Uh so uh so some men from the synagogue of um of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. Uh they were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, uh Cili- uh Cili- Cilicia. Cilicia. Uh and the province of Asia. Um none of them could stand against his wisdom and the spirit with which with he spoke. So you could just see that, that he had this anointing because of like it, it's that flow and effect, like that he like that it is very much a this him as a person, but then and the spirit working through him. Yep, sure. Um so they persuaded people to lie about Stephen, saying that he blasphemed against Moses and God. Um and then they they pretty much just basically started drummed up a thing right against him. And yeah. Took him took him out and arrested him, yeah. Um, yeah, and they even said, we even heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. So that, that put in that element of truth of something that Jesus says yes. and turning it uh, and adding to it. And, Good point, yeah. because that's what conspiracy theories often do. Yeah, Start with an element of truth. Jesus had say, yeah. stood before the Sanhedrin and said, destroy this temple yeah. and I'll rebuild it in three days. And that word's out there and then they've used that, they've twisted it, manipulated it. Probably it's it's changed over time. Um, we need to be very careful not to listen to anything but the source. Yeah. If we hear information, don't just jump in there and go, must be true. Yeah. Listen to the source. Yeah. So, and th- this last bit, this is one of those, wait, what's? Uh, in verse 15, uh, 
so they've got him in there pretty much just in front of the high council or the council everything going and at this point everyone in the high council's council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's mm. and so this is here is referring back to Exodus yes this is Moses. Moses coming off the mountain so it's just that so the, at this point like the spirit is just there yes like, the, the holy spirit is moving through Stephen here yeah. it's manifesting itself yeah. public you know in some way which is amazing in itself because the guy's been arrested. Yeah. And the glory of the Lord is shining even brighter in that moment. Yeah. And so he's talking through. Um, yeah. All right. That's uh, that's chapter six. Chapter six. Where are we yeah. going now? Uh, we are now going to, let me bring up my little uh, trusty sheet, going to Romans 12. Romans 12. Ah, yes. The work of the Spirit is very mentioned there. Mm. Okay, Romans chapter 12. This uh, is a big chapter. Yeah, big chapter. Uh, and a lot of things, and yeah, there'll be a lot of things Romans, particularly, well, particularly Romans, you know, is one of those books that a lot of Christians probably would have read, um, probably heard a lot of ser- sermons out of at different times, even just chunks of, um, even just chunks of chapter 12 anyway. Um, so, and this is a summary. So this is a summary I found from one of the, um, what are they called again? The books that come alongside and they help explain commentaries. things. Commentaries, that's the word. Yeah, we've both uh, got to be foggy head. So uh, begins, so this is what it says. I'm just going to read this out because it gives an overview of the chapter, but then we'll be looking at it from, with the lens of like looking, pulling out parts, but where the spirit plays a role in this as well. So uh, it begins um, a section of practical teaching. So this is Romans 12, uh, practical teaching that brings the body um of this whole Romans letter to a close. Paul's letters often follow this pattern of doctrinal teaching followed by practical instruction aimed to help um, helping believers live out their faith in Christ. This pattern illustrates Paul's understanding of the relationship between Christian belief and practice, emphasizing that theology informs and supports ethics. In Romans, the ethical uh, exhortations in tw- verses uh, in chapter 12 through to ver- uh, chapter 15 build on and assume the theological arguments that we would have heard in the first That's correct. part of Romans. Romans is essentially broken down into a few sections, chapters 1 to 4. Yep. It's one, th- one train of thought, 5 to 8, mm. uh, 9 to 11, 11 yeah. and then 12, 12 to 16. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in this passage in particular, Paul discusses the individual's responsibility for worship and personal transformation, uh, the variety of spiritual gifts are endowed to the church, uh, the uh, the primacy and unconditional love over all other action. Uh, so in short, Paul calls the Roman believers, both Jews and Gentiles, to a new code of ethics of love and humility on the basis of God's mercy. So that's, that's a good summary. That's a good summary. That's why I yeah. read that here because then we'll jump in and we'll just sort of have a look at bits and pieces. But I think that that – if you're looking at spiritual gifts, we're probably going to think of that verses three to eight. Is that where it really yes. starts talking about um, the idea of um, the spirit and what it what it does and working through? But um, you uh, you were saying before um, more so about that this whole chapter is really yeah. Informed. The holy I learned this in Bible college years ago mm. that this is a Holy Spirit chapter. It's just hidden there. Mm. But a bit like what you're saying at the start of this podcast. 
you know, we know the traditional first Corinthians, we're going to go about spiritual gifts in chapter 12 and so on. But this chapter really shows the um, behind the scenes working of the Holy Spirit, in the day-to-day life of a Christian. Yep. Uh, so, uh, so let's just jump in and have a, uh, have a look and see what it says. I think that's probably the way to go. Sure. Um, it starts off, yeah. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all uh, he has done, because of all he has done for you, uh, let them be a living and holy sacrifice uh, that he will find acceptable. Uh, this is truly the way to worship uh, worship him. Uh, do not copy the behaviors of the world. Uh, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn uh, to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Uh, I suppose it just sort of speaks for itself a little bit there, but the idea of a living and holy sacrifice. So um, it's, it says let them, and we always imply that it's talking like our bodies, give our bodies to God. Um, is that the only way we could be reading that? Because like I, I think that we've seen people read it different, very different ways and I suppose depending on your theological leaning on how I read, read it read as it. give God everything I've got. Yep. So that includes my body, my time, what I do with my body, yep. um, the dedication, because everywhere I go, my, everywhere my body goes, I go. Yep. So I think it's that whole concept of be 100% all in is what Paul's saying. Yep. Be totally sacrificed. Lay your whole life down yep. as a sacrifice. That's how I read it. Yeah, and, that, and, like, and that's how I see it as well. I, I've just heard it talked about being a very physical thing oh, in yeah, terms I think of they bodies. Just and, focus on sexuality yeah, as yeah, one was, part of it or whatever. But I think Paul's trying to say, your whole life belongs yeah. to God. Give him yeah. everything you've got. So the word, the Greek word is soma, um, probably butchered the pronunciation, uh, but uh, S-O-M-A, but the O has the little, uh, the Omega has okay. a little uh, thing. Of but that, it, it's what it's, doing, it's referring to the entire person. Yes, there you go. So it's not just the body. No, it's all It's you actually are. talking about your, entire, your entirety as a person. Yeah, I think so too. Um, so yeah, living sacrifice, it probably is a very... Uh, Christian Yeah, idea. well, Paul's trying to say, you know, your sacrifice, the thing about being a living sacrifice is a dead sacrifice doesn't get itself off the altar. Mm. But a living sacrifice keeps trying to wriggle off the altar. Yeah. So this is a reminder to keep putting ourselves back into a position of yeah. submission to Christ. Keep yeah. offering our lives again today, Lord. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive me of my sins. Lord's prayer stuff every day. Yeah. Stay on the altar of sacrifice where it's not about you. It's about your life is a living sacrifice because Jesus gave up his life and sacrificed it for us. We should sacrifice our lives for him. Yep. All right. So we'll jump down. Uh, so after that, so we look, this is where it talks a bit more explicitly about the spiritual uh, and uh, and all that sort of stuff. So um, because of uh, the privilege and authority God has given me, so he's talking about himself, um, I give each of you this warning. So it starts off with a warning. Uh, do not think that you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measure yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies or our entire person, like so our our whole lives, uh, have many parts, each part has a separate function. So it is with Christ's body. Uh, we are many parts of one body and we are all, uh, we all belong to each other. Yes. And we're about to get in the whole body and like, you know. The body analogy, which you'll pick up again in 1 Corinthians 12 yeah. too. I think that's, some, it's it's funny that it talks with, give you, he's even said, I'll give you this warning. 
because this is exactly what we don't do. We do not ever, because we're told not to, uh, think we're better than we really are. We're told to shoot for the stars, anything's possible, If you know, chase your dreams, which is all fine and well, but understanding that not necessarily that those things are going to eventuate. We're Have to, an we're, honest and sober assessment of ourselves. Yeah, we're told that, okay, shoot for the stars, go for it all, um, but we don't get told the other side is that, but then you've got to make sure that you're evaluating what's happening. Mm. Be honest with yourself. Is it actually going to happen? Is is there a chance not to say never, not to doubt yourself, but to then to be able to go, I need to have an honest assessment with myself. Yeah. Is, is this Do something I have that's the in my calling? Do I have the skill? Yeah. Can I get the skills? Mm. And honestly look at it and go, well, maybe I can get the skills, but is it mm. the right use of my time and effort to get yeah. the skills in that area? Or would I be better off going, it's not within my gift set. Yeah. Let me find someone around me who does that well yeah. and then free me up to do other things. I think that's the honest assessment. Yeah. We, we, every human being is interconnected. Yeah. So we need to recognize we don't have to be all and um, yeah. be all in all through all. That's Jesus' job. Yeah. Um, we're supposed to be part of it. He's got to go on and say we're part of a body. Yeah. Everyone needs, has a part to play in that body. Yeah. Yeah. We are many parts in one body and we all belong to each other. So, um, yeah, just I, I, I want to pick up on that first part is that it starts with a warning because that's pretty much that human condition is that we don't, we always think that we're better than we really are. Yes. Um, because we think that you see it on Australian Idol auditions all the time, don't you? Yeah, oh, exactly. My, my mum says I'm a great singer, and then yeah, exactly. they can't sing. So, um, and that's because you got to have an honest assessment. You've got to you got to have an honest assessment. You've got to be in a body. Just because where you've got trusted people around you can say, "Hey, buddy, you can't sing." Just because someone says you can sing doesn't mean you can. It means you have an honest, honest assessment yourself. Oh, can I? Yeah. Oh, I'm okay. And then go and ask people. Yes, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, down to verse six. Um, yeah. In his grace has given us um, different gifts uh, to do certain things well. And I, I like that differentiation there is that um, for doing certain things well um, is that often that just because you have a gifting for something, you might have giftings to do a few different things. You might have, but, but for doing certain things well, um, I think that we can get mistaken because even I think it talks in it later or it might be one of our chapters that we don't necessarily get given all the gifts. We might have- No, we have a we part might have, to play in the body, don't we? Yeah. We might have access to, we might at some point in our lives have access to all the different types of giftings for particular seasons and all that that's sort of right. stuff. That's right. That's the way to view it. But, but the idea is we need each other. We're interconnected. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the thing. I mean, traditionally I've been taught this Romans 12 we're going to do 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 13. 4. I don't think we're doing no, no. Ephesians 4. Uh, and we're going to look at we're going to do 13. 13 yeah. Not doing 12? Yeah, doing 12, 12 and 13. 12 and 13, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I've been taught all these. These gifts that are listed in Romans 12 are the motivational gifts, yeah. which means these are things God's wired into us. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 12 are spiritual gifts, which are things the Spirit gives us. Yeah. Ephesians 4 are gifts that Jesus gives to the church, actual ministries. Yeah. While I think that's, while I think there's elements of truth in that, I think we have done ourselves a disservice by trying to compartmentalize it Mm. So much. I think the overwhelming testimony is that, because Peter has gifts mentioned as well. Peter lists yeah. gifts in his letter. I think overwhelmingly the sense of what we want to get to here is that the Holy Spirit unites believers together mm. and then imparts different roles and purposes and gifts and talents and abilities so that together we can become the body of Christ and together we represent Jesus, not individually. Yeah, I think that's, so, you know, talking about the not getting nitty gritty like we were in the Samuel stuff. Yeah. Come up to another level and see that's what the New Testament's teaching. Yeah. Holy Spirit is at work 
you, you don't exist apart from a body of believers. Yeah. And together we become like Christ. Yeah. Jay John, I've said this a lot lately. Jay John says we haven't got it all together, but all together we've got it all. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So, yeah, um, giving us different gifts to do certain things well. So it means that, yeah, again, that you might have to hand things off because someone else can do it better. Um, so if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out uh, with as much faith as God has given you. I'll read through the whole thing and then I'll come back to the sure. Um If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is encouraging others, be encouraging. If your gift, uh, if, you, if it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. I think the the thing that it, it always emphasizes the point is that if you've been given a gift, that you are doing it to the best of your ability, to the much as God has blessed you to do this, you go and do it. Too often is that someone go, oh, this is my, I've got a gifting for, you know, prophecy or something, or I've got a gift for teaching or, you know, intercession or all these other random words that we like to throw out that might have no context if you're not in in Christian circles, um, that, yeah, it's fine to say that you have that. But are you using that to the best of your ability? Like are you using that to the most that God has, to the utmost that God is giving you the opportunity to use those? Like are are you really taking advantage of these gifts? They're not being, they're not for you. No. I was chatting with Jeff. He's preaching on this particular spiritual gift Sunday here. I was talking to him on Monday a couple of days ago and he, and he's he's preaching that thought that these gifts aren't for us. No. They're for the body of Christ. They're here to build up other people's lives. Yeah. Help other people. That's how we've got to view it, which is what you're saying. Yeah. It's all well to have a good good gift. Yeah. But if you're not using it for the benefit of others, Paul would say, well, he's going to say it in 1 Corinthians 13. Yeah. So like, it's like, you know, first up prophecy, speak out as much God's faith has given you. Prophecy is about the life of the church. Yes. It's not about an individual's life. It could be if it's that Within individual. Within the context of the local context church. Of, yes, that's right. You know, and then it's serving. Serve well. Like, you know, that's important. If you gift is to serve others, you've got to serve. If it's to teach, teach them. Don't just say you're a great teacher and don't teach people. Like if your gift is encouraging others, encourage them. The amount of people that I know that are great encouragers that are too shy to want to go up and encourage people. Sometimes the best encouragement I've had is from people who don't necessarily always say something. That's right. They come up and just say, what you said today was just so great. I'm no, so I glad that you got to said it. And, they, and that's all they message. say. Someone out of the blue sends me a random message. Yeah. I love it. It's priceless. Yeah. Thank you. You know, that encouraged me today. Yeah. Because the, the whole point of encouragement is so that, like you're giving that gift because people need encouraging. Mm. People are stepping out in their gifting. People are stepping out and doing things that sometimes is beyond their comfort zone. That's right. And they need these people. They need if you, you have a gift of encouragement. If you are prompted to, to on a regular basis to go up and say thank you to someone, or if you're prompted to say to be like, you might be the only person that every single week walks up to the person that preaches, or the person Absolutely. that serves the coffee, or the person who leads worship, or the person who sits on the sound or does kiss ministry and says. Thank you for what you did today. Don't ever feel as though that you are, you know, anything other than someone who's being a great encourager Absolutely. and doing what it is, a gift that you have. Yep, because and very important. Very important. Because we all need encouragement. Yep. Great, Jimmy. I love it. Giving. Give generously. Yep. Um, if, it, leadership, if you've got leadership ability, 
take the responsibility seriously. Seriously. So it's not saying lead well. No, because everyone can, if people even don't have leadership abilities, can lead well. It's it's about those, taking the responsibility. Which that you once have again of the is about it's about other people. Yeah, I'm not leading because I need to be led. I need to be a leader and yeah. get my glory. It's, it's not no, about you. It's not about me. I love that. Yeah, I'm going to see that over and over again in this whole concept of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, um, and then if you have a gift um, for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Yeah, and great. I, and I think that that's just so. Im- if you if you want to know what it is to be a part of a church, to be a part of the Christian uh, circles, uh, to know people of faith, if if it doesn't reflect this, something's not happening properly. That's right. Uh, and if you feel as though you've got one of these things, take encouragement from that. This is encouraging to you, whatever that is. Yep. Even if it's encouraging, whatever all your of gift it is, is, do it. Do it for the benefit of others. Yeah. Absolutely. We can't urge you enough on yeah. that because that's how the body of Christ will flourish. Yeah. And then yeah, like and no, like if if you feel as though you have this great leadership ability or you have this, you know, you have this gifting and you feel as though you're not using it, go and speak to someone about it and then really find out is it like, is this a gifting that you have? Okay. Well, let's work a way to, so you can outwork this. How's that going to look? You know, someone could say, Oh, I feel as though that I have this real gifting for preaching. Okay. That's great. Everyone can be a great speaker. What does it look like? What does it look like? You know, before I preached on stage in a church, like I'm very, I'm very blessed that I've had the opportunity uh, in multiple churches, not just ones that I've that I'm actually a part of, to be able to preach, and that's that is something that I'll never take for granted. Nothing that I'll ever expect. I may do it once there and never ever again. Who knows? It may go great, may go horrible. Hopefully, so far it's generally been okay. So, um, but the it started from me before the first time I did that in my own church. On a in a Sunday service, I would have been I would have done hundreds of youth, preaching at youth, right to kids uh, in kids ministry. Yep, and do simple teaching Growing through there. The gift, yep, I I would have done it in small groups, in Bible studies, and and even though that's not necessarily preaching, but it's being able to communicate the thoughts the that are coming. That's right through. Now, yeah, and if, not everyone is is a I'm like, you know, next yeah. week we're going to have Phil Weird, and he, he's a classic example. Phil is in his element. I, mean, I have so many positive comments about Phil's mm. podcast. They go, gee, he knows his Bible. How many times have people have said that? Phil is in his element as a Bible teacher, mm. as a small group person. He will say, you know, he's not as comfortable up on stage. He doesn't necessarily carry mm. himself, but he's, he's, he's recognized this is my gift. Yeah. And he's so good in a small group setting yeah. where he's done the work and he's teaching the word of God. Yeah. And so it doesn't have to be the stage or is automatically, yeah. you, we've got to, we've got to be, um, recognize it's not about our glory. Yeah. It's about how can we add value best to the body of Christ? Yeah. So if you feel as though you've got a gifting that you want to use, speak to someone because it could be is that, is it you're after something else it help you discern that because if you, you might yeah. sometimes like if you're maybe double guessing or is it that I want to be on stage? Yes, that's right. Or you is it that I actually want to preach? Or is it that I actually want to teach? And it's not always and black then, and white. There's a no. bit of nuance in there too. Yeah. Even at my stage of life where I really feel like I've laid it all down, mm. I still have times where I realise, well, oh, that was a bit of glory seeking going on there mm. because we're we're human beings, but yeah. we just need to need accountability around us to help us with that. Yeah. All right. All right. Where are we going now? Um. Oh, still got a lot of. Uh, still got a little bit more in here, but. Um, just trying to see, um, love. Okay. Yeah. The rest of it's really about living as a Christian. Yeah. So verses nine through to the end of the chapter, pretty much. Um, yeah. So it's first up, 
don't pretend to love others. Again, this is this whole community thing. Just you're not necessarily gonna like everyone that you're like that you're at church with or in your small group or all that sort of stuff. You might not necessarily like like everyone. You might not hang out outside of that context. But you're called to love them. You're called to love them. Love I, love someone. I just looked up the New King James. You know, I know you yeah. have a big title yep. title on. Yeah. Oh, a big advocate for those yeah. subtitles. <laughs> but the New King James, I remembered it for mm. years. This subtitle from 9 to the end of the chapter is Behave yep. Like a Christian. Yep. And then in RSV, it's Marks of a True Christian. There you go. So this is like, well, you want to know how to live a life as a Christian? Yeah. This is what Paul's, this is the recipe for it. Yeah. Oh, almost closed that. That would have been fun. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. Loving people. Um, so really love them, uh, hate what is wrong. Uh, so that's a, like interesting is that like hate isn't used very often and not in a positive sense. No. So this is where hate is used in a positive sense. So it's the, the way the things that are wrong, both in this world, in you, yep. in your community, you should hate those things. Yes. Not, it's not, it's, but this is coming after loving others. That's correct. So yeah, you're loving yeah. others, but hating what's wrong. And it's not this. And don't it's please not hating others because they're wrong. And it's not the. And it's not the. Hate the sinner, not oh, the. Yeah, you know, stay away from hate, that word. You know, oh, that, that phrase it's, is it horrible. Just does, it's just you know what I'm saying. I even said it wrong. Love the, because love just, the sinner and hate the sin. Oh my gosh. Don't uh, don't fall for that, guys. It's it, it doesn't go well. No. No, we um, we genuinely really yeah. love people. Mm. And um, we can, you know, you don't go articulating it that way. It's not going to no. get the result you want. Mm. That's not what Paul's saying. He's not going around telling everybody I love you, mm. but I hate your sin. Yeah. No, not at it's all. It's just saying, it literally saying love others, really love them, hate what is wrong. It's yep. not that like this isn't a you do one and do the other. No. This is all wrapped up. Like hate what is wrong is more talking about, or from my understanding, is that it's more t- talking about is that you will see a lot of things that are not right. Yeah. You will see it like and, and in life in general, but yep. it, and it happens in the church. It happens. You'll see it in me. You'll see it in leaders, and you like, and you see it in yourself. Yep. And you want to hate that, but you you want to hate that with a passion because you do not want what like because that is there again you thinking about others. Mm-hmm. You don't want others to then experience that wrong. You don't no. want people to have to um, deal with the effects of that wrong. So you want to hate that wrong. And you do that, loving others, really loving others, and then says next, hold tightly onto what is good. So it's not you can hate it, but don't hold on to that hate of yeah. them, what is wrong. Like Focus you want to hate the good that, stuff. but then hold on tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. Yeah. Take delight in honouring. He's trying to build the body up. Yeah, he's, he's not advocating for mm. you know ignoring everything, but he's trying to say your focus has to be love here. Yeah, um, never be lazy. That's a you know. That's, this is like a, a five minute read. It's a lifetime to master this stuff, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, because yeah, I'll definitely fail that at the moment. I'm not necessarily. I'm lazy in one sense, but not another. Being uh, having a newborn, yeah, mm. you're lazy in some senses, but you're always on. So it's a bit of a bit of a double edged sword there. But like, there's always things that we're going to be working on here. But it says, work hard, serve the Lord enthusiastically, uh, re- uh, rejoice in our um, confident hope, be patient in trouble, keep on praying. It's really here, like the. Yeah, bless those who persecute you. Do not curse them. So that, again, you're loving them. So this whole what with that phrase before, love the sinner, hate the sin, that doesn't work because it says, bless those who persecute you. Do not curse them. Like if someone's doing wrong, you're not going to go, oh, like I love you. It says like, do not curse them. Yeah. So how can you? I mean, that, that phrase just doesn't have, work. Has to, our motivation must be love. Yeah. Always. That may require that at some point we 
we talk to someone about their actions, if we feel like those actions are going to bring destruction to them. Yeah. But once again, even then, it's not hating sin because I'm self-righteous. It's yeah. hating sin because I know this isn't going to be good for you. It's like yeah. Nathan coming to David yeah. and saying, this isn't good for you, Dave. Yeah. That's what it needs to be. We might we might have to, if we have enough of a relationship with people, yeah. as a pastor, you know, I have responsibilities in my flock. Mm. I may need to um, call them on some things, but not because I hate them. Precisely the opposite. I love them. Yeah. And I want the best for them. Yeah. And I say, hey, this, I'm not going to control you, but this path you're going down is not going to be the best for you. Yeah. And sometimes uh, showing love to someone is actually cutting them away from you. That's rare, but it does yeah. does happen it sometimes. It does happen to that point. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, and pray that God will bless them. Um, but then uh, never pay back evil with more evil. It seems obvious, but it still happens. Yep. Um, we still do it. Um, do things such a way that everything, everyone can see that you're honourable. Uh, and that everyone, like a lot of times is we get caught in the track of externally, everyone else, but then you get home and maybe your family don't necessarily see that honourable side. That's right. It's everyone. Wheezy week. What you see is what you get. Yeah. Um, and then the, the last bit here, so there's a bit of a, you know, pull out from the scriptures here. Um, I will, uh, where... Leave, uh, never take revenge. <laughs> Funny, we just come out of two Solomon. Yeah, um, never take True. revenge. Leave that to uh, leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, "I will take revenge; I will pay them back." Says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them; if they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Do not let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Uh, and that. Heaping burning coals on their heads, uh, coals of shame on their heads, is one that, like, it come that's come straight out of Proverbs. Uh, so Proverbs is, you know, book of the Bible that pretty much a whole bunch of Proverbs, sayings, stories, things like that. Uh, the, that opportunity is that it's you're not doing it to show them up. You're not doing that to, like, that by doing good to them isn't so that you can uh, point out to them and go, I'm doing this good to you so you can see how wrong you are. That's not what it's about. No, that's right. It's about by you doing that, it's to then help them see, oh, hang on, like I've done this stuff to them. That's right. Good. And and now like and I've treated them in this way, like and it makes them think. Whether or not it changes their actions, who knows, but that's it's that it's to put something back on them for them to reflect on themselves. And you're not doing it but you're not doing it for the actions that they've been doing theirs. You're not doing it to get back at not them. Not getting back. No, it's right. It's not no. this tit for tat thing. No, because that's what it, like, like it literally just says that before that. You know, yeah, it does. Do not pay them back. Don't pay, like, pay. That's just going to escalate. That. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Yeah. Is that it for this chapter? Yeah, that's it for this chapter. All right, good one. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 4. Okay, so um, let's dive in. So then it starts. Christ has suffered physical pain. You must arm um, yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. Just wanted to point that out at the start. Yep. Uh, Is that, again, doesn't matter. Christian life isn't always easy. No, it's not easy. Uh, And requires giving up of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so if you suffered physically for Christ, um, 
um, you have finished with sin. Now, have I read that right? Um, if for if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. Now, that one I thought was interesting, and I couldn't remember. Um, I think if the context is their suffering is right. Peter's writing to a persecuted church. Oh, there. So he's so saying true. you're going yep. to be persecuted. And when you suffer for doing the right thing, yep. sin has no hold on you. That's yep. what he's saying. Yeah, that's yeah. Context, people. That's what that's your yeah, context. That's, right. context. Yep, that's right. Um, okay, so yeah, you won't ch- spend the rest of your life chasing desires. Yeah, it continues on. You won't ch- chasing desires. You won't be anxious um, to do the will of God. You know, you will be. You will be anxious to do the will of God. Uh, you'll be. Yeah. So yeah. you will be anxious to do the will of God. Uh, you've. Um, you have enough in the past. Um, you have had enough in the past um, of the evil things that godless people enjoy, uh, immorality, lust, feasting, drunkenness, wild parties. And then he goes and says, of course they're going to persecute you because yeah. you, you're not involving yourself not in those things anymore. anymore. You're not a part of that. Yep. So they're going to slander you. But he says, but don't worry, you stay the course. Yep. Doesn't mean you have to be rude to them. You're not arrogant about mm-hmm. it. But you just take a stand and uh, God will honor that. And then, yep, so verses 7 to 11, he talks about, you know, adding on to that, uh, that you need to be believers uh, about the need for believers to live upright lives, live live holy lives. Yes. Um, to emphasize Jesus' return, courage uh, to do right by others. Pretty much he's just like, you know, just to build on that, you know, to live out what it is to, that you know, there yeah. needs to be a Christian pretty much. Um, you know, cheerfully share your home with people uh, who need a meal or a place to stay. So start good, living It has echoes of the whole going. Romans 12 thing, doesn't yeah. it? And I think I remember when I first discovered that this whole book was about um, persecuted church, I was actually driving in the car with my daughter, Beck, and she was doing Bible college at the time and she was studying 1 Peter. And we were just chatting about it on the way into the city or something. And I realized, oh, this is, you know, as we're talking it through, this is really about persecution. Mm. This is about how to hold your integrity yep. and stay faithful in the midst of persecution. Yep. And yep. keep honoring other people. Yeah, so then move into verse 12 where it talks about yeah, well, that before is, that, you got the gifts. Oh, the gifts, yes, yeah, sorry. From just verse 10. Uh, God has given each of you a gift um, for his great um, variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well, to, as we said before, use them well uh, to serve one another. Again, it's about serving other people. one another. Uh, do you have a gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself was, um, was speaking through you. Do you have a gift for helping others? Do it with the strength and energy that God supplies. Uh, then everything you'll do will be in glory to God through Jesus Christ, all glory and power to him forever and ever. I think we're getting the point across, Jimmy. Yep. It's for others, not for us. Yep, definitely. Yep. Uh, and then we move into, yeah, verse 12. So this is, yeah, suffering for being a Christian is the title. And, yep, pretty much it's saying there, don't be surprised at the fiery trolls you are going through. So this is the church that's being persecuted. Fiery trolls, you know, there's every chance that someone might be actually being set on fire at this point. That's right, yeah. So uh, it's as if... Something's. Don't be surprised if something strange is happening to you. So it's like, don't you? You should be expecting. This. You should be expecting that yeah. you're going to be. Yeah. That people are going to are going to get confused yeah. by the way you live your life. Yeah, and then they're going to come against you because you are being countercultural. Mm. You're being against everything they've yep. known and and yep. they they do know now. Uh, instead, be very glad for these trolls. Uh, make your partner in Christ and in His suffering, um, with Christ in His suffering. No, and there. Uh, so that you'll uh, have the wonderful joy of seeing the glory when it is revealed to all the world. Mm. He says just before that, 
It's one thing to suffer, but if you're going to suffer, don't suffer for being a murderer or stealing or making trouble. Yeah. Suffer for your righteous – the things you do that are good for yeah, others. Do the, yep, do it for what is good. Um, if you're insulted because uh, you bear the name of Christ, you'll be blessed uh, for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. Uh, if you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, prying other people's affairs. Um so pretty much you're suffering for doing right, not for what he, for doing wrong. That's right. Yep. Um, because if you were probably doing wrong, you probably wouldn't be suffering because that's, that's what everyone else is doing that's exactly there at that right. time. And that's why you're being persecuted. Um, praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. Um, for the time of judgment, uh, for the time has come for judgment and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? Now, this one is one that I flagged because... It's a proverb, isn't it? It is... Now, I can't um, find that note. 19. Proverbs 11.31, it says in mine. Uh, is, yep, 19. What is it? Proverbs... 11.31. 11.31, yeah. And isn't it... Okay, he's... It's slightly shifted on what, like it's the same sort of meaning, but it's slightly shifted from that proverb. Like he's made it. Yeah, I have to have a look at what the proverb was. Uh, I never, I never compared them actually. Um, Proverbs eleven thirty one says, "Those who bring trouble on their families inherit the wind. The fool will be a servant to the what is this eleven twenty nine? Did I say? Um, eleven. No, thirty one. Yep. If the righteous are rewarded here on earth." What will happen to wicked sinners? Yeah. Yeah, so it is a bit of a, a play on words there. Yeah. It's not exactly the same thing. No, but they, they would know what he's yeah, getting what at. what he's like getting at. It. So it's like it's written for those people in that context to to understand what it is exactly that he's saying. Basically so. saying if you're suffering from a man that pleases God, yep. as he goes on and says, keep on doing it. Keep doing what's yep. right. Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, yeah. Proverbs 11.31, uh, to, uh, to remind his audience – of the high cost of following Jesus in a world that condones sinful behaviour and um, reviles, in other words, doesn't like the name of Christ. Yes. So, yeah, that's so he uses a proverb which is saying something similar, but he's turning it into what it is that they're going through. Yeah, that's right. Time. Well done, Pete. Um, therefore, let those who are suffering <laughs> in accordance with God's will entrust themselves to, the, um, to a faithful creator while continuing to do good. Sorry, folks, bit of a coughing fit there, but we're nearly done. <laughs> yep. So I think that's the end of um, one Peter four. So yeah, pretty much it was yeah again just harping back even to what we just went through in Romans about that spiritual gifts are even for even others. in times of persecution are for others. Still for others. Even if it means that you are gonna you know face something that you don't like, whether it's something very small or yep. whether it's something large. Don't use a spiritual gift to. Bring down your enemy is what yeah. Paul, Peter and Paul would be saying. Yeah. Use a spiritual gift for building people up. Yep. They're not to be misused for uh, treating your enemies badly. No. Love Definitely. your enemies. All right. All we're right. going to head to 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 now. Yep. Two to okay. go, Jimmy. Yeah, two to go. I just said in the break, I said I'm starting to feel really foggy in the head. So if the next two, two chapters don't make any sense, sorry about that, folks. We'll try we'll and race uh, We've got a doctor's appointment in an hour. so we'll, uh, we'll try and keep everything on track. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
Uh, and so these are two, 12 and 13. Um, these are both probably verses you probably would have heard of a lot. Yes. Uh, if you're in Christian circles, you probably, you've definitely heard 12 and 13. If you're not in Christian circles, you probably still heard 13. Probably still heard 13. Most probably at weddings and, and all those sorts of um, times because yeah, it's the, the love chat, the love chapter yep. pretty much, but it's very much a spiritual gift chapter as well. So correct. Um, yeah. So chapter 12, um, regarding your question about abilities, uh, the spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. You will know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the spirit of God will curse Jesus and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So this is just that initial warning that, okay, like, this you is want the worldview you've lived by. Yeah, you've what lived we don't this. know is what the question was. No, this is the problem is we don't know what the, we don't get. No, they sent him a question, but we don't know what the mm. question is. So we're trying to anti writes this is like listening to one side of a phone conversation. Yeah, we're trying to ascertain what the question might have been based on his answer. Yeah, and so it's I think that they're asking questions that, and like I think one of the hypotheses is that they're talking about that um, they're living. Or they've been in a very pagan society, very, very spiritual much society. very spiritual society. Spiritual so, gifts were very much more spirituality was very much used to curse people. Yeah, in this society to put hexes on people and that kind of stuff. That was yep. a normal part of pagan worship. And it's probably where. So where does this stand when it comes to the church? To, yes. to, to be a follower of Christ, yeah, is it about? Yeah, what is pronouncing it? using using power over yeah. over the spirit realm to help to put others down. We've just seen yeah. in Romans 12 yeah. and first Peter. Now we're going to see it here. Yeah. Paul would say that's not what it's about. No. Uh, so he goes on different types of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of all of them. So where in pagan culture, you would have prayed to a certain Correct. spirit for something or other or whatever. Athena for this and yeah. Apollo for this, etc. Yes. So where this is, this is all comes from all spiritual gifts. All that is good and true comes from the Lord. So that's pretty that's much right. that's um, good. what they're I saying here. Uh, so there are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but the same God who does the work in all of us. So now a spiritual gift is given to each of us, each of us <clears throat> so we can help each other. To one person, the spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. Um, to others, the same spirit gives the message of special knowledge, uh, same faith, the other's gift of healing. Um, one person can perform miracles. The other has ability of prophecy. Uh, some ability to discern whether a message is from the spirit of God or from another spirit. Some can speak in unknown languages. While another ability to interpret what is being said. Interpret. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> Just stuck right there. Um, it is one and uh, it is the one and only spirit who dis distributes all of these gifts. He alone decides which gift uh, each person should have. And I think that's probably that continuing to answer that question. Okay, so we've this is what we've grown up in. This is what we've seen. How does it fit? Correct. And I think this is very much what uh, what it's say, Paul's saying here and really explaining is that the gifts all come from the same spot, can look very different. There are di very different ways in which the Spirit then yep. enables us, but it's for? It's for the building up of the body, up of the body. which he's going to go on and say. Yeah, so it's what I was saying. Whereas we, I said, you know, we've tend to focus just on all these nine gifts of the spirit. And I'm going to yeah. probably put myself out of kilter with what the Pentecost, official Pentecostal teaching that I've been taught. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not saying it's not that, but I'm much more comfortable with this being a 
selective list for this moment rather than yeah. this is the only nine spiritual gifts. No. I think there's evidence that some of those other gifts seem to be spiritual in their mo- motive as well. And some of them overlap, like prophecies in yeah. all three or four different categories. So yeah. I think it's um, it's just more the purpose behind it is use what God has given you for the benefit of others, for the yeah. body. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, and then, yeah, so from verse 12, this is the – Famous human body part yeah. analogy. And I think I've heard this preached on more often than not with no real reference to spiritual gifts. Yes, true. I've heard it yes, in it terms can. of that we are – I think I've, I've you, probably it's a traditional volunteering well. yeah. sermon. Hey, we need you because we can't do without the hand and we can't yeah. do without the foot. And Just because someone, you know, there are people that need to stand on stage. There are people that need Correct. to be behind the scenes. There are people that need to go out in the community. The people, that's, and that's all true. About, it is. But it's got to be in that context of God has appointed each person with gifts and yep. wirings and the spirit is working in your life. So that's why you do so it. So that's why you do it. Yeah. That's the point, Jimmy. That's why you do it because yep. you need to steward what God has entrusted you with. You're important to the body of Christ. Yeah. And so um, so it just I, I won't go through the all the bits and pieces because I think that most people, not all, most people probably would have heard this at least once before, but pretty much just saying whether you're an ear, like everyone Every can't be an important. ear. Everyone can't be an eye. That's but right. Every part's important, you know, from your pinky toe, um, because your pinky toe gives you balance. Yep, your actual right. pinky on your hand gives you grip strength, like gives you actual proper grip. You know, like your eye. Well, I can tell you, know, you now with the chest, chesty thing, it's affecting yeah. my ear. Yeah, and one part of the body is suffering. I got yeah. my, my my chest, more the muscles in my chest are all bruised. I have to hold yeah. my chest. I'm I'm living this out right now. What's yeah. what started in one part has affected every part of my body. Well, like you know, throat doctor, like the reason yep. they're all connected. Like it's, that's it's, right. It's the whole idea is it's getting across that. All of us will have different giftings. All of us have different abilities. Uh, and the whole point of that is so that we can use that for each other. We're interconnected. For the body of Christ, um, for the body which is the church, uh, so that we can then do what it is that we're meant to be doing. We yeah. can live out a life that shares uh, Christ to the world and to each other. Uh, and, yeah, so all that. And we're not going to preach every sermon that we've probably heard on that one. But I think that's important. If you have any questions on that, like if you feel as though, because it's something that I think a lot of Christians will take as a given. So if you are maybe a new Christian and you maybe haven't heard that yeah, sermon a f- yeah. couple of hundred times or you you aren't a Christian, you're sort of exploring faith or just listen to the podcast because uh, you want something to put you asleep maybe, I don't know. Uh, but this has tweaked your interest here. Please, yeah, reach, reach out. Reach out, definitely. Yeah. yeah, he's basically going to go and wrap up this chapter by saying, you know, not everyone's the same. Yeah. Practically, you know, he's talking yeah. about the body parts and he's going to say, not everyone's an apostle or a prophet no. or a teacher or yeah. worker of miracles or speaks in tongues or whatever. Not everyone's the same, but we all need each other. We're all yeah. interconnected. And then he's going to say at the end of verse, chapter 12, last verse, he's going to say, but now let me show you the way to do it best. Yeah. The way to do it best. That leads us into chapter 13. Chapter 13. We are gathered here today. <laughs> uh, yes. One Corinthians chapter Preparing thirteen for a wedding. Yes, the, the love is the greatest. The love the the love chapter, as uh, it is referred to. So this is the wedding chapter. The wedding chapter. The one that's uh, on your when if you have a, a minister or you know someone of a Christian faith who is looking after your um, your wedding ceremony. This will be one of the verses that they'll have on the list. This one is uh, out of all the weddings I've done. I reckon this is used at least three quarters. People choose this. 
at least three quarters of weddings I've done. I think um, Aaron and I intentionally didn't choose this yeah, one. Yeah, I know. I usually <laughs> encourage people not to choose it, but, but yeah. they do choose it. Yeah, and 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 they use they choose it because they've heard it at yes, other weddings. Yes, that's right, that's exactly. The, um, but yeah, so from verse four is the part, love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, it's not boastful. That's the part that everyone hears. But we've got to remember, this is in context. This is not a separate writing the chapters no, are there fact, that's are artificial. I, that's what that's it why says. I said at the last verse. Now I'm going yep. to show you a way. I heard many years ago, we're not doing 1 Corinthians 14 today, mm. but I heard a preacher say, well, this is going back 25, 30 years, mm. that uh, you need to see 1 Corinthians 13 is like parentheses. Mm. You can actually pull 20, pull 13 out and with the exception of that last line in 12, you can just yeah. carry on and read 14. Yep. So Paul has inserted this in the middle with all this stuff about spiritual gifts, with all this stuff where it would appear mm. that the Corinthians – were abusing their gifts. Yep. They were using them for their own gain rather than for the body of Christ. And so he inserts this in and says, God's going to tell you all that's pointless if you don't have love. Yeah, pretty much. Yep. Like the whole, um, but if you don't love others, it'd be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Mm. Like it's, it's that idea that it doesn't matter what gifting you have. It's like, like if I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's plans do all and possessed the all the stuff. knowledge, could do everything under the sun, but I didn't love others, it'd be for nothing. Because as we've heard every single time so far is that it is all about what we can do for others. For others yep. That's why we have the giftings. That's why. So that's why he chucks this love chapter in there. Yes, that's it's right. Because is that you – it all it, it all pivots it on this. It all pivots on this. Like the whole idea of the body doesn't function if you're not loving others. That's right. Like the it doesn't matter if you understand where you fit in the whole thing. Is if you're just like, well, I'm just going to do it so that my little section is good. That's right. It's not going to. Well, like I just said, you know, every else. time I'm coughing, yeah. my hands are groping my chest yeah. to protect my muscles. And if I didn't have love for my muscles, I wouldn't <laughs> be doing my body any good just when I cough if I don't do that. So yeah. that's it. It's like, what's the motivation? I don't want to harm any other part of the body. Yeah. I want to show love to every part of the body that I can. And so this is very vivid yep. language. It's about how do you actually love other people? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I'll skip that. Love is patient, love is kind. We've all heard that. Um, it's not because it's not important because we've all heard because it. Because we've heard so many again. times, yeah. Um, and I've got a doctor's appointment to go yeah. to. <laughs> you can read it yourself, folks. Um, yeah, I like that. The, there is, in verse eight, it just said, like it finishes with, with, but love lasts forever. Yeah. And I think that's the important thing is that the, that love, people will remember you for your love, not for your gifts. Great thought. They'll love, you know, just because you did some amazing things, um, God worked in amazing ways. They might remember those things, but they'll remember the love more so than anything else. Yeah, good thought. So I think that that's the... And the importance of this is that it doesn't matter how great your gifting is. And I think we've, you know, I think we've drilled home that point is that spiritual gifts are important. Spiritual gifts, are, like it is an integral part of who we are as Christians. Yep, that's right. Uh, and living out our faith. Um, but if you just, if you're not doing it for the right reasons, if you're not doing it for God, if you're not doing it for others, then it is nothing. That's right. Because you are, you again are not showing the most important thing which is the love of God. That's right. So you're given these gifts, not for yourself, but for others and yep. showing that and that that's a form of love. For sure. That's brilliant, Jimmy. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's hard. This chapter is because it's so well known. I'm like, I'm Let trying to think of this. Final there, so yeah, out of it. Chuck something in there. Um, 
people who don't believe in it, the supernatural gifts being used today, they're called cessationists. They um, will quote this scripture where Paul will say, but in the end, um, you know, gifts will cease. Faith, hope, and love will remain. The greatest of these is love. And so a lot of people who are cessationists who don't believe in the supernatural work of the Spirit today, good godly people, but they're just convinced that that died out with the, with the apostles. And once we got the Bible, we didn't need that anymore. They, um, I, I disagree with that view for all the reasons we've said, but they will quote scriptures like this. But what I like to say is, I think they're pulling a scripture out of context because what they'll do is they'll say, prophesying, verse 8, prophecy and speaking in unknown languages, the special knowledge will eventually become useless or will end and it will cease. But um, but love will last forever. Right now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, even as the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the picture. But when perfection comes, we won't need those partial things. And they say perfection is the Bible. Then he goes on and says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see these things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. Now, a cessationist argument is putting the, oh, perfection is the Bible coming. Mm. And so I don't need everything because now I have all this knowledge. It's all available to me. I have a major problem with that. And you can see you're smiling. It's the last line. I will know completely just as God knows me completely. Last time I checked, I don't know know me and I don't know God the way God knows me. No. So I think I'm not there yet. When when will we know everything completely? We will be transformed in the blink of an eye at the resurrection. So I think for me that is – you have to be selective in your text there. Yeah. Um, to think that that is saying that you shouldn't be operating in your spiritual gifts. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. God uh, wants us to use the benefit and the, use the gifts that He's given us through the power of the Spirit for the building up of the body of Christ. Yep. Anything else you want to add? No, that's it. All right. Well, I'm going to head to the doctor. Thanks for being with us, everyone. And thank you, Jimmy. I loved the work you put in today. That was really excellent. Thank you. And hopefully, when I listen back, <laughs> I'll be more coherent than I am in my own head. (laughs) God bless you, everyone. Have a great week. Thanks, guys.